Are you tired of the same old pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on Powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 4,000 hours of the best pro wrestling events from over 110 of the biggest names in the industry from over 15 countries around the globe. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. How's it going, everybody? This is Mike Sempervivi, a Wrestling Observer Live in the Adam and Mike Big Audio Nightmare, located over at WrestlingObserver.com. We want you to listen to our show, but we thank you very much for checking out Keeping It Strong Style here on the Social Suplex Radio Network. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is a network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your hosts Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here With the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we're reviewing nights 8 through 10 of the G1 Climax, answering your questions, and covering all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. This episode of Keeping a Strong Style is brought to you by Power Slam TV. PowerSlam TV is an independent wrestling streaming service with over 5,000 hours of wrestling from companies across the world. Use the promo code SOCIALSUPLEX to get your first month free. Make sure you check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, ProWrestlingTees.com slash SOCIALSUPLEX. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. Young boy, what's going on, man? Hurt. <laughs> You're feeling hurt? I'm feeling hurt because my bracket is busted, my pickums were wrong, and my shoulders are feeling busted. I've been in the gym, and I've been working on my Shane McMahon, you know what I'm saying, my shoot-style strikes. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not as good as the best in the world, but uh, I'm getting there, getting there. I just need to uh, you know, get a young boy jersey and... Uh, Wear some uh, Air Force Ones or some Nikes like he does. Every time some you Jordans. Walk, every time you walk into, uh, uh, into a room, here comes the money. Yeah, I start, I, I start doing the shuffle and the dance and all that. Yeah, that should be your alarm when you wake up. I'm actually going to start modeling my entire life after, like, Shane. It's going to be great. That is going to be my alarm. And I'm going to start, uh, I don't know. I don't know where else to take this bit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't watch WWE. I don't know enough about Shane McMahon. Uh, then you have to get into a feud with uh, Kevin Owens. Are they in a feud? Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, why? Because <laughs> it's 2017 all over again. But we're not here to talk about up north. We're here to talk about 
New Japan Pro Wrestling. The Far East. Talk about the Grade 1 Climax. I don't know why we're talking about this. I heard that they got the best wrestling product out there. <laughs> that's what... I mean, I don't know. That's what Seth's Twitter said, so I don't know. Yeah. Cause, right? Yeah, because Seth always tells the truth. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, man. This uh, G1, like... I have a different feeling now than I had the last few weeks. The last few weeks, I was like, oh my god, this is incredible. This is so great. This, And then now I'm like... What the fuck is happening? <laughs> Gato, where are you taking us? Yeah. Uh, did, did you ever hear that um, that Dave Chappelle bit where he's talking about, like, there's a difference between, like, when you're ready to go to the ghetto, so you kind of prepare your mind, and then versus being taken there? Yeah. And, you're, like, that, I feel like I'm getting taken there. Like, I wasn't ready for this. Like, <laughs> he I'm, wasn't ready. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking out the window, and I see gun store, liquor store, gun store, liquor store. I'm like, where are you taking me? <laughs> Uh, oh, Mox win, Okada win, Mox win, Okada win. What are you doing, Gato? Oh, uh, I have no clue what's happening, bro. Dude, I, I did not. Actually, the crazy thing is, like, I'm like in third place for the bracket contest. Yeah, and, and that's not really <laughs> saying much because I mean, a lot of people's brackets are just just red all over them. That's saying a lot because I'm like the I'm the underdog story in this contest. Like that Neo Geo will be mine. And we're we're actually tied, sir. So we're tied. Yes. Oh God. <laughs> well, the last time we were in a contest together and we were tied, I uh, pulled away at the end. If you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Shout out to Ricky and Clive. <laughs> but um, yeah, man, I'm ready to I'm ready to review these. Like the matches have been fantastic, but I'm uh, some of them have been, some have not. That's true. This is definitely I would say probably some of the weaker nights compared to the last two weeks. That's probably true, but, like, I'm cramming them in in such short succession that I'm hardly noticing that. Like, I'm just like, let's get through them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, But I, I've enjoyed everything so far. So let's start off with Night 8. We had Juice Robinson defeating Toro Yano at 4 minutes and 35 seconds. I liked this. I mean, but I like Toro Yano, so, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean... Short little four-minute match, you know, Yano doing the normal Yano stuff, pulling the turnbuckle pads off, um, you know. This was important, though, because Juice had so much trouble with Toriano last year, especially. That's the real reason why this man got rid of his braids. Everyone's like, why'd you get rid of your braids, Juice? And he's like, I'm killing off CJ Parker. Nah, it was in preparation for him, for his match with Toriano because he knew that he could have got taped up to the freaking ropes again. Anything could have happened. He could have got counted out, but nah. He he came with a game plan. He cut his hair, and he had no problem with Toriano. He got that geek out of here. Four minutes. Yeah, blocked a low blow. Left hand of God. Pulp friction. One, two, three. Juice picks up two points. He outsmarts Yano. Uh, went two and a half stars on this thing. Yeah, it was fine. Yeah. This wasn't like the funniest match in the world. I, I did like that little story element, though, with the fact that Juice overcame him so easily, basically. I, I did pop for when uh, the referee found the extra roll of tape in uh, yeah. Yano's tights. Yeah. That was pretty funny. Uh, but besides that, yeah, it was just your typical kind of Yano match we're getting this year. I mean, it's one of those things. Like, we talk about, you know, Yano can beat anybody. We've seen that in this tournament. And it's like one of those things where it's like until your guy that you like gets past him you're you're sitting there on the edge of your seat being like please god let like please let's get through this and then he got through it and now we don't have to worry anymore so juice advances two more points and we move on 
yeah, we have Taichi defeating Hiroki Goto at 12 minutes and 25 seconds. And, you know, Gentlemen's 3 here thought it was a fine match. Uh, we had a lot of the Tai Chi shenanigans in this match. I really, it, this is one of those situations where I felt like the shenanigans really didn't add to the match. It kind of weighed it down. I agree. Uh, you know, you started off from, from the very get, uh, you know, Tai Chi rips off Carl Frederick's LA Dojo shirt to mock Goto with it, which uh, then Goto rushes down to the ring. They start brawling. And just from there, it was just shenanigans after shenanigans. Um, you know, shenanigans you, for shenanigans' sake. Yeah, using you know Miho Abe as a shield. Uh, you know, just all just all the typical uh, Tai Chi gimmicks. And then, of course, towards the end, it kind of picked up a little bit towards the end. You know, with ta uh, Tai Chi using you know the Kawada kicks and Goto kind of firing up, hitting uh, reverse GTR. But then Tai Chi ended up. Uh, Countering the proper GTR, shoves the ref into Goto, hits a uh, backdrop driver, ref is still down, Tai Chi grabs a mic, uh, and Goto counters, hits him with a headbutt, uh, he follows with a kick, GTR is countered, Tai Chi grabs the ref again, hits a low blow, Gato clutch, 1-2-3, Tai Chi gets the win. Man, what a rundown. What an astute <laughs> rundown, Jeremy. My god. But yeah, I mean, this was fine. Um... I guess my big question coming out of this is, like, what's going on with Goto? Because, you know, he got the big win over Jay White night one, and since then he's the only other guy he's beaten is, like, what, Yano? Yeah. So he's uh, at, sitting at four I, points. And I then, think it's one of those situations, we kind of, I think we talked about it either last week or the week before, where he was literally training just to beat Jay White. That's all he cared about was beating Jay White. So he's a front runner. Yeah. He blew his wad and he can't go no more. <laughs> like, that's crazy. And then, uh, you know, you got Taichi, who is, I guess that, that puts him at four points now in the tournament as well. Um, I guess that makes sense, like some parody booking. I'm just kind of surprised, like, they they made this big deal about Goto's new physique and everything like that. I kind of thought he would beat, I didn't think he beat everybody, but I kind of thought he'd beat Taichi. Right, I think, I thought he would have a, a little bit more momentum, pick up a few wins, like, he went off on, you know, an excursion, so to speak, training with Shibata and Carl Fredericks and all those guys, and, you know, supposed to be in, he's, he's in better shape, like, they had the whole, the video they put on New Japan World of him at the LA Dojo. The thing with the Tai Chi matches is, like, the endings of them are usually, well, the action leading up to the endings is great, but then there's shenanigans and then, or whatever, and then it kind of, you know, falls out from there, and then the beginnings are just whatever. But, I mean, I, I, I guess I can't complain too much because it's a lot better than what we've gotten from him in the past, so it's fine. Yeah. Uh, I just – with both these guys, they've wrestled before, and I – did they have good matches or not really? Uh, Is, isn't it one of those situations where I always think they're going to have good matches and then they don't? Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah. It's fine. So moving on, we have uh, the Deaf Rider, John Moxley, defeating Shingo, 14 minutes and 45 seconds. The Deaf Rider, he, he's tapped out Shingo with the uh, Texas Cloverleaf here. Worked, worked over Shingo's uh, knee and leg for majority of the match. I do want to say, I thought that it was, um, well, w a couple things. One, I was sitting here with... Uh, good friend of the show Zach Porter shout out to Zach and I was telling him about 
why it kind of frustrates me that so many wrestlers can't put on the Texas Cloverleaf right. I'm like, I just don't get why. Like, what's so hard about hooking underneath the boot when you're, like, cinch, cinching it in? Like, are you guys pro wrestlers or not? Like, it's not that hard. Um, and then he was like, he'd already been spoiled on this. And he was like, well, there's a, there's a match where that's going to come into play. So shout out to John Moxley for, you know, doing a proper uh, Texas Cloverleaf. But um, the other thing with this match I really want to commend them for their layout because there was a lot of callbacks to the feud and the match and the match from the best super juniors between Kanemaru and uh, Shingo, where Shingo came in with an injured knee, mm-hmm. and that was very evident because John Moxley like even did very specific spots, namely the one where he did the. Uh, what do you call that? Where you raise the guy up on their knee, like a knee lift? Yeah, the knee lift onto the uh, the railing or a knee drop. I yeah. don't know what you call it, but yeah, he he. Well, he dropped him onto the table. Table. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Which is the same thing that Kanemaru had done when Kanemaru had almost upset Shingo during the mm-hmm. Best Super Juniors just what a month or two ago. Yeah. So I mean, I thought that that was interesting. All around, this was a pretty good match, though. Um, but you know, Moxley fucked up Shingo like he's fucking up everybody. Yeah, you know, um, he did have a little bit more psychology in this match. You yeah. Know, focusing on the leg, uh, several um, attacks to the leg. Even one point, he, he pilmanizes um, Shingo's knee. Hey, how about that? You and, want to talk about that for a minute? Yeah. How is, how is like, Red Shoes not on the take? We're going to talk about the next match. Okay, we'll talk about it, but in the Jay White-Jeff Cobb match, which followed this... Red Shoes refused to do a countout because of interference that had been on the outside, and he's been refusing to, to count. But then, like, when uh, John Moxley decides to do a pil- to pilmanize somebody on the outside, Red Shoes is all okay with it all day. That man's on the take. <laughs> that man is on the take, I'm telling you. Well, Moxley's a part of the family now, so I guess he has to, he's looking out. Which family? The Umino family. The Umino clan? <laughs> But yeah, dude. When that happened, like you know, I, you know, I've become conditioned to kind of you know realize. All right, the referees are gonna let a lot of things fly in big main events and title matches in the tournaments. But you know, there's gotta be you know some consistency in what these guys are doing, especially with red shoes. One match, he's you know, pilmanizes his leg. Sure, starts to count out. Yeah, what the fuck. Next match, refuses to count out. Like that doesn't make sense. Like I could. I would be fine if the following match he did the same thing and started to count. But, like, what's going on here? I think my thing with it, and I would prefer for it to be this way. If if guys are going to do illegal things on the outside and New Japan is going to have the rule where they kind of give them a little leeway, then don't let it be so blatant that, you know what I'm saying? Like, let it it be something where, like, they, they do an attack and then they move on. But, like, when this guy's, like, beating him on the ground with a freaking chair and pilmanizing his leg, like, that's crossing the... That's... That's like some attitude era crap. It's like, uh, I mean, the referee's literally watching him. Like, that's kind of stupid. Yeah, yeah. That's that's one thing I didn't like in this match. Uh, but besides that, um, I thought the action was great. A lot of great counters. I thought they did a good job doing a lot of, uh, on the commentary, referring to and alluding to the past that John Moxley and Shingo have with one another. Yeah, and uh, uh, Dragon Gate USA. Yep. I, and, you know, that's something that New Japan that they do pretty often is when guys have history they will acknowledge it they will allow it to even be played up in the promos and in the stories which is nice and so i thought that that was that was a good nice little wrinkle uh i thought shingo was probably got 
maybe like more offense and near falls on John Moxley than almost anybody else in the tournament. I felt like Moxley gave more to Shingo than he did to Ishii or to obviously Jeff Cobb or, or uh, Taichi up to this point. This was, in my opinion, to a certain degree, maybe his quote-unquote toughest test because this was a much more parody-based match than the Ishii match was. You really think that Ishii match was that? Ishii bad? got... Ishii got like 20% of the offense. I think people need to rewatch that match because I'm sitting here watching Ishii just get fucked up and it's like, what? Why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, this... Once again, I think this was a great match here. Uh, Moxley busting out those uh, regal knee tremblers. Loving that. Loving that. He hit him with a lot of knees. And actually, them. the knees looked really good in this match. I don't always love when he does uh, the regal knee, but he's... Slowly but surely, I think he's improving. It's starting to look better. Than yeah, it's looking. He's hitting them dudes real clean foot now, and um, hits the knee trembler, locks on that Texas clover leaf, and Shingo is forced to tap out. Were you surprised that they had Shingo tap out in this tournament? Uh, I was surprised. I mean, Shingo's a guy. Uh, you know, they've done a great job of pushing him and protecting him in his uh, junior run. But you know, now he's here in the heavyweights. They told a great story of Mox attacking the knee throughout yeah. the whole match. And, you know, they got the rocket strapped to Mox's back right now. And they're showing a new wrinkle here with uh, the, the Texas uh, Cloverleaf submission, showing you another way that Mox could get a win. And Yeah, I'm not um, going to bury it too much or anything like that because, as we know, guys tap out in New Japan and it's not seen the way it is, like, say, in WWE or most Western promotions where it's like, this guy is buried. Right. But at the same time, you got to figure that many times the guys that they're trying to protect, they don't have them tap out. So it is kind of, even though it's not a burial, it's still a big deal to see a guy get submitted. Um, You know, last year, I remember Ishii submitted to Zack Sabre. I was very surprised by that Mm -hmm. Um, for different reasons. But this was the most surprising submission to me of the tournament so far. I was very... I wasn't surprised he beat Shingo because I kind of anticipated that. I just was surprised to see him beat him with that specific submission. submission. Yeah. yeah. Another thing too, it, it's still a junior versus a heavyweight, so you would think in, in New Japan mindset, a heavyweight can submit a junior without there being any issue whatsoever. Even, I, even I if suppose junior so, is Shingo. but as, as this tournament's going on, I'm starting to feel like Shingo's just not a junior. Like the the, the more it goes on and on, I'm just like he's not a junior. And in, in fact, John Moxley even said it like in his post match. He's like, "Dude, that, that guy's like two thirty. He's not a junior." <laughs> <laughs> like, you know. So like, I get what you're saying, but like, some, like the more I'm watching Shingo, I'm just feeling like, eh, I, don't, I don't think he really is a junior at all. Like, it, it's it's fine, whatever. But like, he's big, bro. <laughs> <laughs> He's bruising people, but uh, yeah, no, I really enjoyed this match. I, I would have probably gone about the same, about four stars. And uh, you know, Death Rider moves on eight points. Yeah, four nights. So next up, we move on to Switchblade Jay White defeating Jeff Cobb, fifteen minutes and twenty seconds via pin. Um, you know, I thought this was a, a fine match. I end up went um, three and a half on it. Thought it was you know pretty what? good. What did Dave Meltzer give this match? Uh, I believe he gave it 1.75. How? How, Sway? <laughs> How? How is that possible? Um, yeah, no, this match was good, man. Um, uh, I didn't, like, I wasn't in love with it, but there was a lot of, like, the funny thing is to hear um, 
I listened to Observer today, and to hear like Dave talk about the match. At first, he's praising everything that Jay White did, and he's praising all the cool moves that Jeff Cobb did, and it almost sounds like he's going to give it a good rating. And then he starts talking about how like I don't know, it just didn't connect for me. One point seven five. I'm like, what? But um, you know, yeah, you know, I think the problem with this night in general, and then leading into this match, there was a lot of shenanigans this night. You have the stuff with Toriano. You had the stuff with Tai Chi. And then by t- you get to this match. No, you had the stuff with Moxley, too. Yeah. I mean, uh, there wasn't ref bumps, but there was definitely, like, the brawling, the outside stuff, mm-hmm. you know, the pilmanization. Like, like don't get twisted. There was just as much, like, fuck shit with John Moxley's match as the rest of them. And then you get, to, you get to this match, and it's like, damn, more shenanigans. That, and also, I feel like, um, top to bottom... From in-ring action, from a story standpoint, okay, it was a little bit slower than the other matches, but it was actually a good story. Yeah, I enjoyed the story of this match with uh, White working over the neck of Cobb. There's also the added factor that, okay, on the one hand, you have to figure Jay's probably going to, has to win. Like, it's a do-or-die situation, and because they put him up against Jeff Cobb, it pretty much does kill that illusion that he's going to lose. That would be a huge upset. So it's like, okay, so you already kind of know that Jay's got to win, so he's going to win. He's not going to lose. Otherwise, he's out of the tournament. Right. So there's that standpoint. And then there's the other fact where it's like, like you said, there's all that shenanigans. But not only that, but people are still got their guards up about, like, Jay last year. And so even just a smidge of some of the stuff he did last year, people are like, whoa, buddy. Like, yeah, here, here we go again. Here we go uh, again. Oh, shit. Here we go again. And you know what? Like, I'm not going to lie. I was sitting there watching it and I was like, fuck. We're go- here we go again. So I said the same thing too. But that wasn't enough for me to go like under two stars for the match. Like, no. that's, that's insane. Yeah. But I get why someone might not like it because I, I understand that stuff. And you know what? The, the truth of the matter is, Jay did have to cheat to be Jeff Cobb. He did have to utilize Gato and utilize the nut shots and utilize all all the the smoke and mirrors so that he could beat this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, because his, just his counter wrestling alone is not getting the job done clearly, and that's the story they're telling with Jay White, which is interesting. There was one spot I thought was very creative and never really seen before was when I think it was Cobb was gonna like kip up. But Jay, like, grabbed his hair before he could cape up and pulled him back down. Ah. I thought that was cool. Yeah, I don't remember that, but that is that does sound cool. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's so much wrestling. Like, I wish I could remember everything I like from each match. Like, I, we need, I need to start taking notes because, like, we are watching so much wrestling. I'm like, oh. <laughs> but, no, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, they, they did do cool stuff in this match. Um, but Jay White picks up the win, 15 minutes, 20 seconds. Yeah, it's uh, Blade Runner. Uh, we had a question from Reddit user Life is a Dragon. It says, Why does Jeff Cobb suck in the G1? After that undercard tag and douse with the pull apart brawl against Ishii, Cobb G1 hype was at an all time high. What happened? Is his gimmick too generic? Is his moveset just not conducive to working as an underdog? Does he need to improve his cardio? Is it all RH's fault for being an awful promotion that brings the worst out of all his talents? <laughs> <laughs> um. The funny thing is, I don't agree with uh, I don't agree with you. Life is a dragon. I don't think Jeff Cobb sucks in the G one, but the funny thing is, I agree with almost every point he brought up. Like I think he brings up fantastic points. I don't. I just don't think that Jeff Cobb sucks. I will say I don't think he's having a stellar tournament. He's not like killing it, but he's 
he's a utility guy. He's fulfilling his he's, role. He's a good little hand. He's a good little hand, yeah. <laughs> but, like, I know we always do this, but I'm going to do it anyways. Like, you compare Jeff Cobb's first G1 to Michael Elgin's G1, and it's night and day. Elgin, like, when he came in for that first G1, it was like a revelation. It was like, this guy was supposed to be here all along. It obviously it didn't end up working that way from the rest of his career, but his first G1, he like freaking lit the world on fire. Um, Jeff Cobb's not doing that. Yeah, you know, people are probably asking, you know, why are you making that comparison? But I, th- I think it's pretty clear that Michael... Singlets, big guys, they're both Gaijins, powerhouses. I, I think it's athletic. pretty clear that Cobb pretty much took Elgin's spot this year. Yeah, he did. Like, like if Elgin was still on the roster, like, I, I don't think Cobb would have been in. And I think they're similar archetypes. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I would the same way how, like, if I were to compare, like, Ricochet to, like, Will Ospreay... Right. I'm going to compare Jeff Cobb to, like, Elgin. Right. And, you know, Elgin, he's a super worker, man. That guy is so great. Who, Elgin? Yeah. You he, miss him? I mean... I kind of miss him. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's a great wrestler. And he's he, great. He's better than Cobb. And don't... I mean, I love Cobb, but he's just not on Elgin's level. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know what it is that's not connecting. I think we, we met last week we talked about him, you know, not being quite as aggressive as he probably should be with a guy that size and that powerful... Um, I mean, I agree with most things he said. Is his gimmick too generic? I would say, I don't think that the gimmick's generic. I just think that there needs to be a different side to him other than just, like, laid-back Hawaiian. Chill bro. Chill, chill yeah. bro, smiley guy. Um, his moveset not being conducive to working as an underdog. I've never thought about that, but you know what? A lot of the stuff he does is power-based moves. He might be better, like, suited as a heel if you really think about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's hard to say, too, because it, everything he does gets pops. Right. Well, it's maybe it's just the way he's being booked too. Like maybe like with his moveset, that he needs to be booked stronger. Well, he's saying yeah, he he probably needs to be booked stronger because like he said, it's not conducive to working as an underdog. I mean, how if this guy's like getting beat up and then he does like a standing moonsault, like how is that getting sympathy off of him? You know what <laughs> right. I'm saying? Like that. That's and, you know I don't really think it's ROH's fault too much because besides the Matt Taven match, Cobb's ROH one has been great. Yeah, that's the funny thing. Everything that he did in ROH, every big match he's had has been some of the best work that he's done. Um, He's been fantastic there. Uh, He did say, does he need to improve his cardio? I don't know about that. But but he has been wrestling a slower pace Mm -hmm. in almost all his matches compared to the other guys in the G1, I would say. And that is something to kind of take note of. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and body shame Jeff Cobb, but do you think Jeff Cobb could maybe get into better shape and that might help him in his career? Possibly. Yeah, possibly. Possibly. Uh, his car, maybe, maybe he does need like better cardio. I don't know. I don't think he sucks, but I do think that he has this huge opportunity in front of him, and I don't think he's... Uh, capitalizing on it personally yeah yeah he the only thing that is good i hear new japan super high on him so if they're happy then that's great you know but yeah, and i just don't know if it's one of those things too like if it's like i think it's kind of a 50 50 blame here like i think part of it it might be on him and also part of it on new japan just the way that he's slotted right now where he's booked who he's going against he hasn't had any main events yet yeah how the matches are laid out he's kind of he's always stuck in kind of like either the opening match well here he was in the semi-main but normally his matches are earlier on on the card as far as the g1 matches so yeah i, I don't know 
to me, I think Jeff Cobb is a guy who does a lot of really great moves, is super impressive and athletic and cool, but I don't usually get a feel that he is laying out a great story or like uh, understanding where he is in the structure of the match, honestly. And I mean, I don't know, that sounds kind of, what do I know? I'm not a wrestler, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so maybe I'm just being stupid, but... You know, there are other guys who seem to be able to feel the moment a little bit better and know how to kind of command the audience and and tell the story. Whereas, to me, Jeff Cobb's like, I don't want to say a video game wrestler, but kind of. Like, he's a guy who's out there who's doing a bunch of stuff, but, like, stringing it together at the wrong times, maybe. Yeah. So, I don't know. So, yeah. So, thanks for the question, Life is a Dragon. So, now we're going to move on to the main event of Night 8. We had Tetsuya Naito... Defeating Tomohiro Ishii at 18 minutes and 55 seconds. I really, really, really enjoyed this match. I Yes, I love this match. This was a banger. These guys, Naito and Ishii, always have great matches together. And they did a great job here with all the action and the violence uh, throughout this match. And just being so familiar with each other. Some of the counters and stuff they were doing. Here's the thing, though. Who who has matches? Who doesn't have great matches with these? Is the thing you're like, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we could say this about anybody. Like it's it's kind of funny. Like I you always kind of not you, but like I always kind of forget. I was like, this guy and Ishii always have great matches together, and then I have to stop myself and be like, oh yeah, that's everybody. <laughs> that's literally the whole roster. Yeah. <laughs> but um, no, you're absolutely right. Like this match was incredible, man. Like like you said. They always have fantastic matches together. Yeah, I mean, just you know, once again, there's just so many spots to even go over here, but there's just so many great, you know, lariats and strikes and, you know, headbutts from Ishii. They got a lot of time 18 minutes, 55 yeah. seconds. They went out there and they had a barn burner. Yeah, yeah. And they worked really fast. Yeah, it was fast paced, hard hitting. Uh, just these guys just kind of going balls to the wall. Definitely match of the night. Yeah, you know, these guys are not afraid to kind of take some head bumps. Um, you know, Naito kind of uh, drilled Ishii with that Gloria at one point in the match. Oh, yeah, because that was a high-angled Gloria. And yeah. He came down on his shoulders and neck. That was crazy. And, uh, you know, Naito hitting poison ranas on Ishii. And, uh, you know, Ishii, like, no-selling and he's popping up and killing him with lariats. And, uh, yeah, these guys just going out here just doing crazy stuff, man. Yep, really, really, really good match. Uh, ultimately, Naito wins it. 18 minutes, 55 seconds with Destino. And, uh, you know, at this point, this was, what, his first win of the tournament? Uh, Naito's? Or second? I think this is a uh, second win. Okay. Uh, yeah, that was the second win. So, yeah, that brought him up to four points. Four points, okay. So that pretty much kept him in the running at that point. Yeah. So that yeah, interesting. So Naito at four points, uh, yeah. <laughs> so any any other thoughts on that matchup? No, I really really enjoyed it. I thought it was the match of the night. I think it's uh, among the better you know best matches of the tournament so far. Definitely, I went four and a half on this. I definitely have it in my top ten matches of the tournament thus far. Yeah. So it's an excellent excellent main event. Great way to close out a card that was kind of filled. With uh, a lot of gimmickry and cheating and shenanigans, it was great to have a nice, solid, strong-style main event there. Yeah, you know, people were down on this night. I thought everything was pretty good, honestly. Like, I don't know. I think those Toriano matches are so short that you just kind of move on. And then 
everything else was solid. I mean, it wasn't like the highest of heights, but it was. This is not a show I would bury or anything. Right. I think the issue is just coming off of last week. The Cork and Hall shows. All three of them were so good. The crowd was so hot, and then like coming off of that to this show, it was a little bit of a step down. Um, you know, obviously not horrible, but um, it definitely was not on the level of those Corkin shows. Yeah. So moving on, we have uh, Night Nine, which opened up with Kota Ibushi defeating Lance Archer at 11 minutes and 45 seconds via pin. And I freaking love this match. Bro, I freaking love this match. I freaking love this match. I'm getting into this weird phase, right, where there are these shorter matches like this that maybe don't fit your criteria that historically people would deem as being like, this is a match of the year contender or this isn't sort of mm-hmm. thing. But some of these more quote-unquote epic matches that are happening happening in this tournament that people are falling in love with, I'm enjoying them, I'm liking them, but I'm not finding myself throughout the match like holy crap the whole time. And then there's matches like Archer and Ibushi and there's a few others that have been like this too where I'm just on the edge of my seat like holy crap. And at 12 minutes, 11 minutes, 45 seconds, like this blew me away. Yeah, this was such a fast pace. You had Archer uh, being the big monster heel, uh, Ibushi, you know, being that underdog baby face still uh, recovering from the ankle injury and these guys just worked so well together had a great match this man Lance Archer just continues to improve uh, just busting out different moves out of his moveset that we don't really see uh, that like springboard like that cannonball yeah that springboard like cannonball thing into the ring it was awesome was cool uh, black hole slam this guy just sidewalk Sidewalk slam, freaking giant choke slam. Like, he's getting guys up, bro. Super high. Like, there was a time where, like, Show and Kane used to throw guys up like that, and then they just don't anymore. And, um. At first, when you said Show, I was like. Yeah, big, like, Big Show. Yeah. <laughs> and it's been, a, or like, 911 used to put guys up like that. Yeah. Like, there's very few guys in history that have done choke slams, like, like to that level. And, like, Archer's. Choke slamming the crap out of people. Um, and Ibushi was awesome. Like, I just never thought that I would think of Ibushi and Archer as being some sort of really good matchup or something I'd be excited for. But man, they they killed it. They really killed it. Yeah. And um, Archer with the his own, like, counter of the. Um of the uh, Kamagoye with his big knee strike. Bro, he got all Murdered Ibushi with that huge knee. Bro, he murked him. Like, (laughs) (laughs) it freaking, like, I I don't know how that, how that wasn't real because he literally hit him with like the tip of his knee. Like, that was Ben Askren and uh, Brian (laughs) Mazdaal. Like, he killed him, dude. Uh, yeah, he drilled him, dude. I I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, is that it? (laughs) Yeah, I I was like, oh my God. (laughs) Um, another great um, spot was when um, Archer was going for the derailleur and Abushi countered by just uh, jumping up and doing double knees as uh, Archer oh, was coming down. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was dope. Uh, yeah, there's so many great spots in this And match. then all the Bombays. Oh, yeah. 
and at the at the end, or he hits him with the uh, the kamigoye, but Archer kind of like gets up and it's like laughing and won't go down. And Abushi has this look on his face like that's never happened before either. Yeah, Abushi's just looking like WTF, like yeah, what, what do I need to do? And it's bam, drills him with another kamigoye, and Archer was finally down. One, two, three, Abushi. That's that some Dragon Ball Z crap. That was incredible. <laughs> yeah, dude, I love this man. Four stars. Uh I'm high, I'm a little higher than that. Like I don't know. Like I don't know how to quantify this stuff, but like I'm at least four and a quarter on it. Like I almost feel like I could go a little higher. Like this is like one of the best sub twelve minute matches I can think of. Like it was really, really, really great. It's crazy. Yeah, it was a great match. And like if you haven't watched that match, I, I don't know what you're doing. You need to watch that match. Like Lance Archer is having like unmissable matches in this tournament. <laughs> Who would have thought at the the beginning of this tournament (laughs) that Lance Archer (laughs) would be one of the guys having, like, can't-miss matches? What kind of sentence was that? (laughs) Lance Archer is having unmissable matches. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's that's keeping a strong style first. Like, holy crap. And we did have a question from Reddit user that was five stars. He says, can you think of a time where the first G1 match to go on turns out to be the match of the night? I loved Archer Ibushi so much that I was slightly disappointed with the rest of the night's matches. Uh, no, I can't think of one because, honestly, I don't have a good recollection of match placement, especially, specifically when it comes to G1. I mean, like that, yeah, I, I couldn't do that to me. I'm sure there has been, though. Well, not sure, but I, I, if I were to bet money on it, I'd bet that at some point, yeah, it's probably happened. Yeah, I can't think of one off the top of my head right now. So we can go back and look, but uh, like I have trouble just remembering what nights the matches we're watching right now even happen <laughs> on, much less the order of that night. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's why it's hard for me. Like I, I have no clue. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure with you know, in 29 G ones, there has to be some night that that's happened. Yeah. Uh, so next we move on to Will Ospreay defeating Bad Luck Fale at 9 minutes and 15 seconds via disqualification. I was right. You're right, Ospreay. Ospreay won here. Yeah, so um, this was not Ospreay's best match. <laughs> this man, Bad Luck Fale, comes out here and ruins the streak. This man, Will Ospreay, has had like 16 four plus four star and above matches. Singles matches. Singles matches. And Fale ruined the streak. Like from his match with Fale in the New Japan Cup after that match up to this Fale match. So Fale is the bookend between this like great streak of matches. You know, we talk about the Jay White match, the Jeff Cobb match at MSG. All those best of Super Junior matches. All the matches he's been having here in the G1 Climax. Robbie Eagles. The, yeah, the Robbie Eagles match from which uh, I think people like, have already forgotten about, which yeah. is crazy. Um, and then Fale's like, nah, we gotta, we got to cool this off. You need to chill. Well, that's what he's here for. Hold, hold these two stars. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, for what it was, it was fine. Uh, the, the funny thing is... You're, you're trying. You're sitting here burying my, my dog Fale, but my man was working super hard out there, <laughs> bro. That man was drenched. 
That man was dripping, bro. Bro, I don't, I can't remember a time ever in my life where I've seen a wrestler sweat that hard in my like. It was literally like that Key and Peele gif where the guy's sweating. And yeah, it's just like literally like pouring off his head. Like, like it's probably even more like Mark Henry. Bro, it was freaking, it was insane. So, you know, hats off to uh, to Fale for trying. Uh, you know, close but no cigar. But he he tried, bro. He really tried. And they they tried everything. They brought you know Master Heater out there. They brought you know the Crown Jewel out there. They brought a kendo stick. All the shenanigans, ref bumps, all sorts of crap. Like, but it just you know they couldn't make up for the fact that you know like Will Osprey can't carry Fale to a four star match. <laughs> like, it's just not gonna happen. Yeah, then uh, you know towards the end, the ref was down. Owens comes and attacks Osprey. Um, hits him with the kendo shot and hits him with the package pile driver. When that happened, I was like, "Oh, that's it!" Like yeah. Fale's like gonna pin him off of that. Yeah. But then um, you know the ref still wasn't up, and Red Shoes comes down. We get the old one, two, and the double finger salute to Fale, and Red Shoes uh, throws the match out and disqualifies Fale. Do you love that Red Shoes does stuff like that, or do you think like it's kind of like? That referee shouldn't be like trying to like be over like that. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't know. I, I, with Reg, I, I kind of like it. Yeah, because it's not something that all the refs do, and like he's a senior official, and he is kind of like a character, so to speak. Um, so I'm fine with him doing it. I don't know. I'm like torn because there's this part of me where it's like I know the fan fan base really likes him and all that stuff, and it, it is a funny moment, so I think it's funny. But then there's this other part of me, like the purest of me, that's like, you know. Earl Hebner wouldn't do this. <laughs> well, maybe. Or whatever, but, like, you know, I don't know. But it's fine. But um, at, after this was over, I was, like, a, like I was just relieved that Will Ospreay won because I predicted him last week, so I just wanted to be right more so than anything else. <laughs> uh, but, um, I was again, I was watching this with Zach, and Zach seemed kind of pissed, and I was like, well, bro, I'll say this. It could have been way worse. It could have been way worse. Like it, it could have been. So this was fine. Yeah. For what it was, like yeah. they, they tried. But yeah. Two stars. Miss what it is what it is. That Vince McMahon. It is what it is. When did Vince say that? <laughs> On the uh, the quarter two conference calls. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> when they asked him about the uh, the the why is like the revenue down or whatever, yeah. he just said it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> the same thing for Fale matches. It is what it is. Uh, so moving on, we had uh, the King of Darkness, Evil, defeating Zack Sabre Jr. at 16 minutes and 10 seconds via pinfall. I really liked this match, and I'm so surprised that I really liked this match. Yeah, you're not really big on Evil. I'm not really big on Evil, but more so, I don't like the pairing of Evil and Zack Sabre. Um, I remember being so excited for their feud because of how they played it up earlier in the year with, you know, Evil being unable to beat Zack in all those tag matches. And then they finally had their their singles match. When was it? At New Japan Cup for the first time? Was it New Japan Cup? Was it? They wrestled at New Japan Cup for sure. New Beginning? Yeah, maybe, yeah. I think the first match was at New Beginning, and then they wrestled another time at New Japan Cup, and both times Zack beat him. Yeah. Yeah. 
And they were supposed to wrestle the year prior, but Jericho had interfered and broke up the match, and it went to a right, yeah, 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 to a no decision. So these guys have like quite a bit of history with one another, um, and each time I just was not impressed with any of those matches. For whatever reason, I really liked this match. I thought Evil and Zack Saber went out there and had a great match. Yeah, I mean, I thought I thought it was pretty good. Um... They're, yeah, their matches, like you said in the past, were not not that great. And you would think their styles, you know, with the submission wrestling and then kind of like the Bruiser Brawler, that their past matches would be kind of a little bit better. But I thought they had a pretty good match here. Um, and Evil kind of getting the big win here, defeating big Sabre. Win. And, you know, Sabre dropping, this is what, his fourth loss now? He's out. Yeah. Zack Sabre Jr. is mathematically eliminated. That is so crazy to me. Like, that's this is what, what I'm talking about when I'm saying I don't understand the booking. I'm not opposed to it. I'm not angry. I don't have a dog in this race. It's just that you look at historical references, and I mean, this is what... Uh, I think this is uh, Zach's third G1, mm-hmm. but he's been booked so strong in the previous G1s and so strong just throughout the year he usually is. To see him, like, not only... He could still end up with a good amount of points by the end of this and kind of, quote-unquote, redeem himself. Right, he could still end 5 and 4 and, and have and 10, and point. 10 points. Yeah. But the record books are going to show that this 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 man got eliminated after five nights. And, you know, and part of me, too, I was like, I'm wondering if this was somehow, like, maybe a shot at Ring of Honor in a way. Like, you know, Ring of Honor didn't put the belt on Jeff Cobb because they want to protect their champion. But you have the Rev Pro champion here eating pinfalls left and right. I didn't even think about that. I don't know. Like that's probably like too like conspiracy theory. But I, I thought about that. Let's okay, so it. I see what you're saying. So like, Ring of Honor didn't want to put their champion. They didn't want to put the title on Jeff Cobb because they didn't want their champion eating pinfalls. Right. But the Rev Pro champion's here, and he literally is already out of the tournament. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Okay. Um. I don't know, man. I don't know. Like. The thing is, is like, Zach is so established over there and so dominant, you know, that it, he's going to be fine. So it's, yeah, it, it's not a big deal. But I, now you've probably been paying more attention to this because I've been only been able to catch up to this tournament by the skin of my teeth. Have you seen any of these like post-match like conferences or these tantrums that I keep hearing about that he's throwing? Yeah, he's like pulling like, it's like, you know, uh, what year was it? Like, O2 Christian, like. Just these crazy, like, uh, you know, crying tantrums after the match, pulling the guardrails, throwing chairs. Like he's Jericho. Yeah. Talk- like, like 96, 97 Jericho. Yeah, and, you know, talking about, what's the dude, Boris Johnson, I believe, like the Prime Minister guy. and Yeah. You know, he's talking about, you know, he can't concentrate on the G1 because of the horrible politics that are happening in his country. What, like Brexit and stuff like that, yeah, I guess? Yeah, so... Huh, interesting. I gotta wonder what, what this is leading to for Zach because it feels like there is a purpose behind it. Yeah, he did say that he plans on now ruining everybody's G1. Like, his G1's already ruined. So he's a spoiler. Yeah, he's he wants to ruin everybody else's G1. Man, who would have thought Zack Sabre Jr. is the spoiler in this tournament? That's so crazy sounding, but okay. Uh, yeah, that, that that's one of the things that makes this tournament so unpredictable. The thing is, is like, in order for some guys to... To be dominant, which they we're going to talk about a couple of them right now, or very shortly. 
um, that that means less points for guys who can't be as dominant mm-hmm. in order for the math to work out. And uh, Zach's that Zach's the <laughs> the 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 lamb that they're gonna slaughter here. And yeah, he's out. It's crazy. And I'm sure like he's gonna, he's gonna be a spoiler. He's gonna get his heat back. You know, you got Royal Quest coming up. He's probably going to defend the Red Pro title against one of the people that's defeated him, have a big match there and a big win. He's going to lose it is what's going <laughs> to happen. This man's on a losing streak. <laughs> so, yeah, so we'll see what happens with Zach, the remaining of the tournament. Uh, next, we had the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi, defeating Sonata at 18 minutes and 10 seconds via pin. Dude. And this might be an unpopular opinion. Too long. Too slow. I didn't like this match. Same here, dude. Like this was, and I was <clears throat> I was anticipating really liking it. Same here. You, you got Tanahashi. You got Sonata. Had both, some battle. <laughs> both guys have had decent tournaments thus far, and this came out here and they had a match. Bro, like the I thought that the um, commentary team did a great job explaining their histories with their masters with like Muto and. Fujinami and the history there and like the significance and all that. And they came out here and they had a match, but it was a really slow match. It, dude, it was so slow. It was really like, slow. I was just sitting there like, it was really slow. Like, is this really happening right now? Yeah, it was slow, and um, I don't really have a lot to say about. It. I genu- I genuinely did not enjoy this match. Like, and I watched it like a cup. I watched it twice, and I never got into it. You know what it reminded me of? Hmm. Last year there was a match that you really liked. I think it was um, Hangman Page and Jay White. Mm-hmm. And I watched it, and I watched it, and I was like, "That match sucked." And you were like, "Watch it again." And I watched it again, and I was like, <laughs> "That match still sucked." <laughs> uh, and th- this was like that for me this year. Like I just couldn't get into this. Yeah, I have this like at three and a quarter. That, that, that's a very generous three and a quarter. Bro, I'm at three stars, but here's the thing: I made. I I said this last week. A 18 minute three star match is it's a lot. It's not good. <laughs> it's not the, <laughs> if you go over 15 minutes and your match is in a three star range, like it's like ooh. the low three range, like come on. Ooh. Yeah, it's fine. But uh, Tanahashi picks up uh, another two points here, and we uh, move on to the finals. Yeah, so the main event of the evening, we had the Rainmaker Kazuchika Okada defeating Kenta. 26 minutes, 58 seconds via pinfall. Uh, shocked. Dude. I'm completely shocked. This is another situation where it's like, what is going on <laughs> with this booking, dude? So many journalists, podcasters. I would have put money on Kenta. Experts are coming out here, you know. Us like, well, it's, oh, it's clear, it's obvious. Kenta's gonna beat Okada, get a fall title shot, King of Pro Wrestling, big rematch to lead into the dome. Oh, this is you know, simple, predictable booking. Like, of course, it's gonna happen. Nah. Not only that, <laughs> not only that, but like they were booking Kenta so strong. Like he beat Abushi, he beat Tanahashi. Like it's kind of a big deal. And then he comes out here with Okada, and he gets murked. Actually, no, he didn't. He got most of the offense. This match, I thought this match was fantastic. In fact, I don't know for sure, but I know not everyone's going to agree with me. This might have been one of, if not my favorite match of the tournament. I loved this match. I loved it. I know you weren't as high on it as me. I know you liked it a lot. Yeah, but man, I really loved I, this I match. I was so low on this match, four and a quarter. 
like a time where like you you would literally like as a fan like be like god oh there was a four-star match on that pay-per-view oh, oh that I, was that's, that's great i gotta see that and now in 2019 we're like man ain't nobody got time for four, four stars to, nobody got time for four and a quarter <laughs> we're trying to see four and a half or above <laughs> But um no, this match was fantastic, man. And um, you know what? Probably what might have hurt for me. It was a Tanahashi and Sonata match was so slow <laughs> and so disappointing. I think like that left a bad taste in my mouth going into this match. Okay, so I think one of the reasons why I like not why I like this match, but I could have probably suffered from the same thing. But you know, I was getting DMs from multiple like parties, being like, "Have you seen Okada uh, Kenta yet?" And, like, i just woken up in the morning, and I'm like, no. Like, and I, I mean, it was a lot of people. Like, people in my Twitter, but I don't even use my Twitter, and people are on my Twitter DMs, people are on my Instagram, people are on my Facebook, and all of them were like, you have to see this. So even though that match was kind of bad, I was like, okay, I know for a fact I'm about to see a great fight, but then, um, bro, Kenta kicked the crap out of Dude, Okada. those slaps. Those slaps are awesome. Bro, Kanto destroyed Okada with those slaps, man. Those slaps were awesome. <laughs> Okada's drop kicks in this match were awesome. Uh, Okada having to work from underneath is something that we don't see enough of anymore, and mm-hmm. I really love when Okada works from underneath. Like, uh, he's really fantastic when he's got to be fired up and, and overcome the odds, which we don't see enough from him. We're so used to him being a dominant, you know, champion, and... Um, yeah, he had to gut it out here in this one. He really had to gut it out. Uh, this was a long one, too. They went almost 27 minutes, one of the longest matches of the tournament. And um, it, it went a long time. It started to feel like they were going to go to a draw. Possibly. Yeah. Possibly. And uh, I loved how cocky Kenta was being this match. And like I've been mentioning in the previous weeks, kind of absorbing those boos and heat that he's been getting from the New Japan audience. He even one point kind of mocking the Rainmaker pose. And, uh, you know, soaking in the booze. I think Kenta's been doing a great job um, kind of, you know, being that outsider heel that the fans are not digging right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, the thing here is everyone expected Kenta to go over, um, and he didn't. Um, there's also the, the storyline where it's like the New Japan fans, for whatever reason, are not taking to Kenta. And they're really starting to lean into that quite a bit. Um, there's also the thing where a lot of people are like, well, he's not the Kenta of old. But it feels to me like slowly but surely, match after match, he seems to be just regaining his confidence, regaining his, like, getting his footing underneath him. And to date, this was the best showing he's had in the tournament, in my my opinion. I thought it was the best match he's had so far. And um, you know what? Like, I, and I don't want to sound cliche, but like we, you know, we keep saying he's not the old Kenta. No, he's not. But you know what? He's pretty dang good right now. Yeah, he's he's getting he's getting and, and, and so I mean, good. So so much time has passed since he's been like Noah Kenta. Like we can't expect him to be in his prime right now. Like we can't expect oh five oh nine, you know, GHC heavyweight champion, GSE junior champion Kenta to be coming out here. But for what he's performed, I think he's he's doing great right now. Yeah, this match really got me, though, because I, all the way to the end, I just expected Kenta to win, and they kept you on the edge of your seat. It went really long, and then and then suddenly, Rainmaker, one, two, 
three, my jaw drops. So the, well, first of all, before the Rainmaker, um, Kenta has him up for to go to sleep. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he Okada comes down, but he, he catches, catches it. it. Yeah. And you know what? When he caught it, I didn't think he ca catched it. You know why? Because everybody's been messing up. Because everyone keeps taking it so bad and getting hit underneath the armpit. So I was like, oh god, he just took it the same way everyone's been taking it. But no, he actually caught it, and I was like, oh thank god, at least they didn't actually do the, the GTS. <laughs> Yeah, then from then he countered that the GTS and that led into the Rainmaker. Yeah, yeah, that was really cool. I really liked that finish. I really enjoyed this match a lot. I'm like somewhere between four and a half, four and three quarters, and I'm leaning more to the four and four and three quarters. Uh, I just thought this match was incredible. Um, you know, I don't think people are giving Okada enough credit for how good of a tournament he's having. Yeah, I mean he's been having a phenomenal tournament as well. I believe, I have to check my ratings, but I believe majority of his matches are also like four stars and above. Yep, it's, you know, it's not a, uh, always a popular opinion to like praise him. Like, we all know how great he is and stuff, but like, you know, everyone's talking about Ishii and Osprey, Osprey and, and Archer. Yeah, and rightfully so, rightfully <laughs> so, but it feels like Okada's like slowly building this low-key like great tournament. That's kind of, it's weird because it's like they're all main events, but they're somehow under the radar at the same time. <laughs> and like no one's talking about it. And I'm like, uh, Okada's putting on banger after banger after banger. Like the Tanahashi match, the Osprey match, this match, like he's kind of freaking killing it. Yeah, he is. So yeah. And I, bro, what is he, 10 and 0? Yeah, five. This win brought him or to five, five. 5 and 0, 10 five points. And 0, yep. What? <laughs> what? It's crazy. Um, so we did have two questions here. First from Reddit user Viking Pain says, Kenta, "Is Kenta going to be a New Japan guy going forward as well?" Uh, yes, uh, and I'm not saying that that because I um, have any sort of inside information. I don't. But one of two things is happening here: either New Japan know that they got this guy, and that's why they're booking him so strong, or they're idiots. And they're making terrible booking decisions because you don't book a guy like this, this strong, if you're just going to set him up to be a superstar to go elsewhere. Mm -hmm. That's stupid. You yeah. don't do that. Especially especially in the Japanese market specifically. It'd be one thing if, like, you know, maybe you lose him and he goes abroad or something like that. But, like, you, you're not going to send him to, you know, All Japan or NOAA, you know, right, and, right. and set him up as a freelancer, let him go off and, on his merry way after – he beats all your top stars. Like they're not doing that. Yeah, I, I definitely think they have him locked down. And you know, um, one of uh, a source close to us had told us in April that New Japan had been working on some big deals and that some guys would be coming soon. And you know, earlier in the year we were questioning like, who is New Japan going to be signing? Like they're losing the elite. Like who are they going to be bringing in? Um, so I th I think Kenta is probably one of those guys that they have locked in. I don't don't know how long. I would assume at least a year or two years. Um, so well, there, there's also the thing where Kenta said uh, in one of his promos, like, he's going to decide what he does. Right. And I mean, Meaning, like, I think he's trying to figure out if he even wants to keep doing this or not. Right, if he, even, if he still has it. Right. Because I think it was, he said it in Dallas that, you know, if, if he can't cut it in this tournament, like, he's going to hang it up. Like, he has to prove that he can hang with these guys to, to continue his career. Um, so, yeah, it, maybe it is one of those things, like, you know, if you want to retire after this tournament, if you don't feel good, then go for it. But if not, we're going to keep you going forward. I think he's having a good tournament. I think he's improving match after match. But at the same time, 
if you were to say, is he at the top of the talent pool in New Japan? I'd have to tell you no. No. I'd have to say no right now. But I think that I really enjoy the aspect of the game that he brings to the table that maybe not everybody else in New Japan has. He does bring a different style, a different feel. And there are so many compelling stories that lay in front of us with him and the visceral reactions he's kind of getting from the crowd. Mm -hmm. So I think his inclusion has been great so far. Well, we've got a question here from a user that was five stars. He says, do you think that Kenta is past his prime after all the injuries in time away? I disliked his performance so much against Okada that I found myself rooting for him to lose, not to see him wrestle again for the title shot. Dang, man. Hot take Hot from take. that was five stars. Uh, do I think that he's past his prime because of injuries and time away? Yes. Do I think he's past his prime because he's just way older? Yes. Uh, did I dislike his performance in this match? Well, I just told you how I felt, so no. <laughs> um, but, you know, to each his own. I'm not going to argue with you about it, uh, you know, because not everybody likes the same stuff. But I I thought – I could see how some people wouldn't like it. They might – it's a very calculated attack that he had in the early goings of the match. Right. He's kind of uh, working over the neck. But everything was so stiff. I mean, he's beating the literal crap out of Okada – and hats off to Okada for willing to being willing to take the strikes of Kenta to get him over. That kind of tells you how how giving he is. Um, you know, if someone's not into Kenta, I don't. I'm not going to blame him. And like we said, yes. Do I think he's past his prime? Yes. But I I just told you how good I think he's doing. Yeah. Overall, I think he's been having a great tournament. Yeah. Um, and one other interesting fact about this match, uh, post match we get the handshake between Okada and Kenta which we still haven't gotten the handshake with Kenta and Tanahashi yet. So it's very interesting that, you know, the champ accepts Kenta, but Tanahashi doesn't. Yeah, but that's because Okada beat <laughs> Kenta and Tanahashi didn't. That's why. Okada's like, yeah, I beat you. Sure, I'll shake your hand. Yeah, literally, when we were watching this, I was like, of course he shook his hand. He beat, he beat him. <laughs> Just like uh, Evil when he uh, beats Sonata. Yeah, I'll do the fist bump now. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, why would you be surprised by that? Of course. <laughs> All right. So now we're going to move on to the last night here that we're covering. Uh, night 10 kicked off with Hiroki Goto defeating Toro Yano at 1 minute and 40 seconds. Well, Goto's got to win something. <laughs> uh Dude, I, I thought he was going to lose because, you know, um, Yano was playing with the whole handshake thing and then put the t-shirt on his head and rolled him up. I was like, oh, my gosh, Goto is going to lose, but he kicked out. And um, Speaking of the t-shirts, uh, really interesting wrinkle. I didn't think this match was super interesting, but uh, at the beginning of the match, obviously Goto's been coming out with the LA Dojo shirt on. Mm -hmm. Yano comes out with a Chaos shirt on, and he's – Tra like is trying to offer that they trade shirts as if they're on two separate teams like they alluded to this on commentary that football teams do this as a sign of respect but he like is trying to I think he's like almost kind of asking him like yo you chaos or nah like <laughs> and he even got on the top rope and was like starting a chaos chant like which you know a lot of people keep wondering about is there maybe potential of like an LA dojo faction sort of thing and you know we've kind of, my opinion on things like that are always like 
it's fun to wonder about stuff like that, but you don't really, until you see it on screen, you don't really know um, until they really like put it in front of your eyes. It, it could just be conjecture or wishful thinking, mm-hmm. but this seems to be more than just that. Yeah, they're definitely, I feel like they've been planting some seeds and kind of setting this story up with this, uh, the LA Dojo, uh, faction, but you know, not really much to say here. It's a one minute, and 40 second match. Uh, Goto curls up. Yano gets a much needed win. I think Goto beat uh, Yano like really. No, that was Ishii who beat him real quick last year. But, yeah, El yeah. Ishii. Yeah, wasn't it like the first night? It was one of the first nights. Ishii, it was like the first B block night. I think Ishii it was. like squashed him. Quick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I I didn't give a match. I didn't give, give this match a rating. Um, so moving on, Tomohiro Ishii versus Juice Robinson, bro. This was fire. Yeah, so I did this thing where people were tell- also telling me how great this match was. And I was like, well, they always have great matches together. <laughs> <laughs> where And, like, I'm starting to realize I should stop saying that because it's Ishii. And, again, he has great matches with everybody. But, truth be told, him and Juice do have really good matches. And uh, this one's a little more understated because you don't hear people talk about it. But they had... But remember they had that banger on like one of the last nights of the G1 last year? Yeah, yeah. And then they had a really good match in OTT last year as well. So yeah, they. but this blows everything away that they've ever had together. In fact, this is one of the best Juice Robinson matches of all time. Yeah, this, this might be Juice's best match. Hands down. We keep saying that a lot. Because he keeps improving. Bro, Juice, Juice is just freaking awesome. Like, And Ishii's freaking awesome. And I love, bro. I love this match, um, bro, dude. I, dude. I love this match. You know how Landon talks about pacing in the dead, like, dude. I was like so excited about this, match. dude. I was like bro. marking out, popping, dude. Okay, so this is what this is another one of those matches I was talking about where it's like, you know, this doesn't fit your standard criteria for like your epic match of the year contender, quote unquote. But then, if I'm viscerally reacting to every little thing that they do for the entirety of the match, that's got to tell you something. And like you said, you were pacing. I was on the couch, but I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, I'm literally marking out for everything these guys do from moment one to the end of the bell. Dude, the chops, the elbows, the headbutts, the fighting spirit spots. Oh, my. Like, I really, I really enjoyed the amount of reversals and finisher reversals and kickouts. Mm-hmm. Uh, this match was just high octane balls to the wall. This was one of the uh, – this right here – might be right now my leading candidate for strong style fight of the year. Yeah, this this is this is up there, bro. It was violent. It was so freaking violent. So, dude, the strikes, the chopping. When Ishii was chopping Juice in the neck in the corner, bro. Yep. Oh my, he was killing Juice with those chops. And and Juice was just like, uh, I remember the one point where Juice was trying to like hit him with the jabs and you know the whole Juice spot. And Ishii's just standing there looking at him, like, with his head cocked to the side and, like, not selling it at all. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is incredible. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, Saito suplexes. Um, there's a spot where um, Ishii blocked Oran off the top. And uh, Juice kind of I loved that. crashed to the mat. I loved – yeah, that was really memorable. There's a lot of things to really remember. Uh, you know, you hear them talk about wrestlers who have no wasted motion, make everything count, and maximize every opportunity. That's what these guys did here. Uh in my opinion, if you're, like, trying to teach somebody, like, Japanese strong-style wrestling, mm-hmm. this might be a, the kind of match you just, like, 
show somebody to teach them how to like construct an incredible match. This is kind of the difference between what I was talking about when I was saying like they did a lot of cool stuff, but everything meant something and everything like let like uh contributed to the greater good of the story and mm-hmm. drew you in. This is what I was talking about when you converse it to a Jeff Cobb match where he's doing cool stuff but it's not coming together. Coming together the way that this match came together. And uh this is a rare occasion because this match was really excellent. Yeah. Um but that's what I'm talking about when I try to explain like how Ishii and Juice are just two of the best storytellers today. Yeah, dude. Yeah, this match was just excellent. I also love the spot where Juice hits the cannonball and like Ishii's out and he's like, "Check on him. Check on him." They <laughs> they mentioned earlier in the match a point where Juice stayed on Ishii and they're like, "You know, a year a year or so ago, this, he might not have stayed on him. He might have given him time to catch a breath or whatever." And then when he um hit that cannonball and Ishii was laid out in the corner and and he told the ref to check on him. I thought that was a big mistake and I was like, oh, I've got Juice winning this match and this might cost him. Like, <laughs> he shouldn't do this. Um, but yeah, I loved that aspect where like one guy was beaten so badly that they might have to stop it. I love right. ref, I love ref stoppages. Yeah, ref stoppages are, are so great in wrestling when they're done correctly. Um, and I would, I would have popped if Juice would have won off of a stoppage. Um, and dude, the, the spot with the, the super the superplex, but Ishii then pops up, hits the power slam, and Juice popped up. Yeah, and then they're working on the counters. Dude, and you know what? That's another thing. Okay, and that is that's something that is so overdone, especially in North American indies. One guy hits a hurricane rana, the guy pops up, the other guy hits him with a hurricane or like a poison rana, the other guy pops up, and then they both like hit double. You know super kicks and then they both fall down like you see that in every indie like shindy fest right, ever because they're going that's the traditional this is awesome spot pretty much yeah 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 and this match shows you how you can win and where and how to do that in an appropriate manner to where it adds to the match and it's not just them doing cool crap yeah you know what I mean and so I, that yeah it was like this is how you do it this is the right way to do it I loved it I loved it. Um, the other thing too, Juice, just continuously, almost getting the pulp friction, and like every time, like I was like, "Oh, this is the appropriate time to end the match." He got him. Yeah. And then Ishii gets out. There was four times that this happened where I was like, uh, <laughs> "Is it, when is he going to hit this?" Because I was totally expecting Juice to get the win here. Yeah, and the great thing too about the pulp friction, it's one of those moves like you don't know if it's getting countered until like the last second. It's, it's hard to tell. He has to jump. To you know, drive him down, but sometimes that's when the counter company's coming back down, so you never really know. Yeah, yeah. I don't really love Pulp Friction, but I love that aspect of it, like you mentioned. It is one that's hard to read when it's happening, whether it's actually landing or whether it's getting countered. It, I, I like that. Yeah. So, yeah, man, this hard hitting war, loved it. Great counters, crowd, the crowd was losing their minds in this match. Just amazing. 475. I agree. I agree. Definitely in my top five of the tournament. Yeah, it's kind of crazy how good that match was. Yeah. So, moving on, we have Jeff Cobb taking on Tai Chi, defeating Tai Chi, 12 minutes and 30 seconds. Three stars. So, the next match. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Dude, this was... 
the example, if you look up Gentleman's 3 in the dictionary, there would be a picture of Jeff Cobb versus Tai Chi right next to it. Listen, there really was nothing wrong with this match. Everything it was you, fine. Everything, not, everything you expect from Tai Chi was fine. Your good little three-star affair. Everything, now, if, if Dave wanted to rate something low, maybe this is the match to do it. Like, You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. This might be, and who knows, his ratings haven't come out yet, so we don't know. But um, I would have gone about three. It was fine. Jeff did all the Jeff stuff. Tai Chi did all the Tai Chi stuff. And then Jeff won. And at no point was I excited. They got 12 minutes, and it was fine. Yeah. But this is kind of the... The funny thing is, like, Tai Chi is overachieving, and Jeff Cobb is underachieving. And that's the problem. Yeah. Like, I'm fine with Tai Chi. I'm like... Tai Chi's really improved, and he's doing so much better that he's not fucking up matches anymore. So I'm fine with it. With Jeff, I'm like Jeff. I know that you're capable of so much more. Like you're, you're. Like, he's like that that special kid who's like really smart but hates school, and never, <laughs> never goes. And when he does, he does, he like puts in a half effort, and like he, he can get a C in his sleep. He doesn't even have to try, and like he's fine with it. And yeah. I'm like, all right. There, there were a couple things that did pop me in this match. The, uh, the rebound pile driver. That Cobb did on Tai Chi that he got near fall on. Yeah, except for he he's been doing that in all his matches almost. And really, the pile driver, the one that's a power power bomb into a pile driver. But yeah, but he hit it differently though here though. Maybe, but he's been hitting that a lot on this tour. And again, that's one of the that's the thing. Jeff Cobb does cool moves. Mm-hmm. He does really cool moves like that. And then also um, Tai Chi's axe bo- axe bombers. Yeah, Tai Chi's like I said, he's overachieving. He's he's doing awesome. But yeah, but besides that, you know, you're by the numbers, uh, gentlemen's three, uh, Cobb gets the win toward the islands, a much needed win, picks up two points. Yeah, he really needed it. (laughs) (laughs) So then we move on to Switchblade Jay White defeating Shingo Takagi at 19 minutes and 22 seconds. I like this. I like this too. I've seen a lot of um, varying opinions on this match. Of course, you have... Jay White in there, so a lot of people are gonna have, you know, their you know their extra you know glasses glasses on when they're watching a Jay White match and be a little bit more critical. But I thought this was a pretty good match. Yeah, I thought it was good. I thought it was very good. Um, you know, I like the Jay White character. I like the way he scouts everybody. The way that the funny thing in this is, um, Shingo. This is something I've noticed. And it's kind of interesting. Shingo in the best of Super Juniors tournament. This, and this is just my take. It's not anything I've read or heard anyone else say, but Shingo would go into a match, and it was like Shingo never studied his opponents. He never prepared for his opponents. He would just run roughshod through them. He, he, had, just, he had the uh, Ishii mindset. I just want to smash. Yeah, he, yeah, he's just trying to smash. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> My dog's try, out here trying to smash. Well, he, he was smashing everybody in the Super Juniors tournament, and every but everyone else was studying him. So everyone else was trying to come up with ways to, how do I defeat this guy? And Shingo was like, no, I'm just going to I'm gonna play my game. I'm just going to do the Shingo game, and I'll come out here and, you know, axe bomber people to hell, and I'm going to hit them with the, you know, Last of the Dragon, one, two, three. In this tournament, it feels like Shingo's doing the exact same thing, except for now he's the smaller guy who is quicker, who probably needs to come up with a game plan. And I think in a lot of the cases, he's getting beat because everyone else has better game plans than him. Right. And Jay White was one of those guys. Jay White had a way better game plan. Shingo did not have a game plan. His game plan was 
do whatever you want to do. I'm going to hit you with an axe bomber, and then I'm going to lay you out. Right, I'm going to punch you in the face. I'm going to chop you. And it was, it's not enough. You know, like you at this level with guys that are bigger than you, fat, you know, stronger and have more experience at this level, he needs a game plan. And in kayfabe, he doesn't have one. Yeah. And Jay White definitely – Jay White yeah, prepared. And, and we've talked about this for forever now. Jay White, he's pretty much – he's the cerebral assassin of New Japan. And all of his matches, he's always countering – you know, he's always waiting for that spot for him to kind of like drop down or powder, like go to the corner. There was, there was. I really liked the moment where Shingo went to go axe bomber him, and he just fell down on the ground. Mm-hmm. But it, but he clearly wasn't hurt. Like he was just right. like kind of smirking. Yeah, he was laughing. Yeah. Or when um, Shingo was gonna go for his uh, elbow drop, the one that Tenryu does, mm-hmm. and he just rolls away because he'd studied him. He knew what to do, and like. Right. He knew once he got him on the outside to start throwing him into the barricades, like he had a game plan. Him and Gato did. Um, I did like the straight right that Shingo hit on Gato when Gato tried to interfere. <laughs> yeah. He freaking laid him out. Yeah, he knocked Gato out. And, you know, Shingo was great in this match. Shingo was freaking killing Jay with, with axe bombers and, and, all, and chops yeah. and headbutts and stuff. Um, they had a nice little uh, Saito suplex exchange where, like, Jay hit his, but then uh, Shingo hit his. Yeah. Um, this match was good. This ma- anyone who tells you otherwise is wrong. This match yeah. was really yeah. Good. I really enjoyed this match. Um, yeah, you know Shingo hitting la- uh, the uh, made in Japan for a great near fall. It's funny they really buy into that when he hasn't beat anybody in New Japan with it yet, mm-hmm. and that's kind of funny. Um, but you know, going into this match, Jay only had two points, and mathematically, he pretty much needs to win every match the rest of the tournament for the most part especially given the way that things are going to shake out here in a little bit, mm-hmm. to remain alive. And so it's do or die at this point. And so that's why, like, the cheating is coming way more into play. Now, the thing about it is the matches are still good. Um, you know, I know not everyone's – last year, yes, he was cheating in all his matches, but he was also doing, quote, unquote, character work. Right. This year – he he's just so much more of a complete performer. Like yeah. Jay, Jay is a lot better, and and he's I'm enjoying watching him. Yeah, he's cheating and he's hitting a sleeper suplex. He's cheating oh. and he's hitting a Saito suplex. Bro, he hit him with he hit him with that first. Okay, so towards the end of this match, because I actually okay, so here's what happened. I was watching this match and I mm-hmm. fell asleep, but I kind of heard it, so I knew it was happening. Mm-hmm. And then I woke up and I was like, dang it, I have to rewatch it. So, so I could remember what happened. And now I remember the entire ending sequence. I'm not even looking at notes. So like at the very, very end, he ends up catching him in uh, a made in Japan for a really great near fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he kicks out. <clears throat> at that point, he goes for a last of the dragon. And um, Jay slips out the back and hits him with a sleeper suplex. Shingo pops up like it's nothing. Yes, no cells at fighting spirit. And, and then I think – I can't remember what he went for, but he gets caught in another – Sleeper suplex, and this time it crumbles him. And then at that point, he gets put in the freaking. Um, well, first he hit a, a a high angle DDT, and then he got him with the Blade Runner. Oh yeah, he hit the the high angle. You know what that was? That was the Bloody Sunday. Uh, not quite. Not quite. Because it's the Bloody Sunday is hooked a little bit differently. Like it's like one like underhook. You're right. And it'll hook over the head. This one he had the arms crossed underneath. Yeah. And then brought him up. But it, yeah, it was like a high angle DDT or like a high angle brain buster. It was, yeah, kind of, I, I liked it a lot. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, he hit him with that and then hit him with the Blade Runner, which I actually liked that combination. And 
So he dropped him on his dome basically three, four, <laughs> four times, times in, in a row, row. <laughs> which was a great finish to put away Shingo. Yeah, I went uh, four stars on this thing. I would have gone about the same. Really good match. And all right, here we go. The main event of the evening. Bro, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. We ten. We have ten questions regarding this match. Holy crap! Dude. Holy <laughs> crap! This this was the talking point of the weekend, closing off the show. And it just happened yesterday. Yeah, this was the the big talking point, man. I just watched. I just watched this like a couple hours ago. Um, before we talk about it, I just want to say this. Murray Bone, Muzza, screw you, dog. You freaking spoiled me on this match. Oh, my God. I'm so <laughs> pissed at you. I'm so freaking pissed. This man, bro, this man messaged me super early in the morning yesterday. Have you seen Have you seen uh, Night 10 yet? <laughs> Dude, does, does Muzza even sleep? Like, he's in the UK. I know, I know there's a time difference. But I feel like he's the one guy in our group chat that's always around, like all day, and like James Boyd is too. <laughs> James Boyd doesn't sleep. Like, yeah, well, it's crazy. we we know that James has insomnia. But bro, like, okay, it wasn't that early, but it's still like I was up late the night before. I had a late night, and I I woke up. I slept in. I I woke up around like ten thirty, and I wake up, and I already have a message from us. You seen night ten yet? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, dog, no, I haven't seen it yet. Because you know, and I, he was like, oh, "Okay, I won't, I won't spoil anything." So now I'm like, "Oh God, something!" <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Why did something happen?" And I was like, "And I, I regretted saying that." And then he's like, "No, I won't say anything." He's like, "There's just a crazy outcome." And and then he was like, "Oh, and someone might have got injured," which I don't know what he's talking about. I think he might have thrown that in there to kind of like throw me off the scent. Yeah. And I was like, "Okay, all I know is." If Moxley freaking beat Naito, I swear to God, and and then he goes LOL, and then I was like, oh my, like, and then so then right after that, in our main group thread, Rich puts up a a, a gif or no the me a meme and it's a meme of uh, Shoto Mino and John Moxley doing flipping the birds. I haven't been watching those post match promos. I don't know what night that's from. I did not like automatically assume that that was from this night. That could have been from the any, literally any night. The tag match from the night before, any night. So I see that, and I just think it's funny. I literally don't think it's a spoil. Next thing I know, Muzza goes, "Oops, looks like Rich already spoiled it." And then I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> it made me not even want to watch this night. I was so bro. I was so pissed. Like you don't you don't even know how pissed I was. I was so pissed. Oh my god! So let's. Well, I, I also did get spoiled. On you this, did? Yeah, literally as I was watching the show, like this match was getting ready to come on, um, and then a friend of the show, uh, Dan Coffin, oh fuck, <laughs> tweeted out to the show, and he was like, you know, I, I guess I wasn't so off about um, asking about Moxley facing Okada at Wrestle Kingdom, huh? And I was was like, it worth it, Dan? <laughs> was it worth it? Was your victory lap worth? Killing the joy <laughs> and enjoyment of New Japan for this man right here. My God. Yeah, so. You know what's funny is that, uh, you know, Moxley, we call me the young boy, but Moxley calls his young boy Shooter, but I call you Shooter. It's all connected. <laughs> uh, 
But yeah, let's talk about this thing, man. So John Moxley defeats Tetsuya Naito. Shooter Donovan. 16 minutes, 35 seconds. What do you want to say about it? I, I don't really... I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this, man is, this man is salty. <laughs> this man is Bro, salty. Bro, I'm pissed. This man is salty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. They fucked up my bracket. They fucked up my predictions. This no, this is the first the year. Funny this, thing bro, is, this is the first year I'm gonna be entirely wrong about the G one in a, since we started this show. The funny thing is you actually picked Moxley to beat Naito on the, your bracket you submitted in the contest. I told you that that, that <laughs> bracket's fucked up. I don't know I don't know what's on that bracket. I don't even think that the, the math that I I don't think at the end of it that the points I have are actually gonna equal the the finals that I selected. <laughs> like I don't know what's on that bracket. Oh my god. <laughs> This is crazy, dude. This, like, I I don't know where where they're going. Like, once again, another situation. Us, other New Japan podcasts, other columnists, journalists, are like, this is Naito's year. Naito is winning the G One. He's going to Wrestle Kingdom. He's gonna beat Okada in the Dome. They're gonna wrap this story up. He's finally gonna get his uh, appropriate IWGP title reign. Well. I'll tell you one thing. The night before, when I was watching Tanahashi beat Sonata, and he was kind of looking just not his best, and mm-hmm. then, you know, we hear all the stories about Naito, and I was like, at some point on the show, we have to ask ourselves, and now it seems like a, a stupid question because it's probably not happening at all, but at the time, I was still thinking Tanahashi and Naito was a possibility and maybe even a likely one, and I was like, do we even want to see that match in 2019? I know that they've had so many fantastic matches with one another, even just a couple years ago. But at, now at this point, I'm like, they're both they both seem to be kind of really hurt. Can they like pull it together and give us, uh, you know, a great final? Is that even what we want? But now at this point, it's like, well, that's probably done. Um, do you want to talk about this match? Do you want to talk about these questions? Like, I don't know where we go with this. Like, I'm I'm I don't know what to do. Let, let's talk about the match first, and then right. we can go into the questions. So Moxley's fucking everybody up. And he's getting all the offense, and basically WWE stars just bend New Japan over the counter and make them take it. You know what I'm saying? Because that's what's happening. Like New Japan, all the New Japan guys are just getting fucked up by Moxley. Here's the thing, man. I, I get the perspective that you're coming from, and traditionally, you're bringing somebody in from another company. You want to protect your branded guys. You know, people talk all the time about you know how TNA would bring in. WWE guys and have them, you know, destroy AJ, Daniels, Joe. That's and, exactly what this is. And No, no, no. That's exactly what this is. It's a little bit different, though. How? Because, like, you have, in TNA, like, I didn't mind Christian and Kurt Angle coming in and being booked strong. They were in the primes. They're still putting out great matches. I thought their runs were fine. The problem was when you have guys like Rhino... Kevin Nash, Booker T, Scott Steiner. Those are all Hall of Famers. What are you talking about? Yeah, they're all <laughs> Hall of Famers, and they're all past their prime at that point when they came in. And they're beating AJ. They're beating Daniels. They're beating Saban. Like, they're running rough shot, and they're putting on horrible matches. Yeah. You you have John Moxley. I'm visioning John Moxley in the Kurt Angle-Christian scenario. You have a guy who's coming on. He's still in the prime of his career. He's the hottest star in wrestling right now based on everything in AEW. Like, 
All his promo work has been great. All his matches so far in New Japan have been really good. He's been delivering. He's been getting over. Uh, he's, he's the hottest star in wrestling. To me, I don't have a problem with him coming in here and being pushed the way he is. No, you're right. Um, I'm being a little hyper. Hyperbolic, just for dramatic effect, because we're on the air <laughs> for uh, entertainment for purpose. entertainment purposes. <laughs> but I will say this, um, and this might be a little bit of a hot take, but I'm just gonna say it. You know, John Moxley's not as good as Christian or Kurt Angle. Ooh, he's not even close to the worker that either of those guys were. He's not, not even close. Like not even a little bit. John Moxley is very entertaining wrestler. Um, so here's my thing with John Moxley. Here's my thing with the situation. I have no problem with them booking him strong. Um, and I think we should have a discussion about why they're doing that because I think that's worth having. I have no problem. If they're going to book him to go 10-0 and at this point in the tournament, that's fine. Um, I think of Kenny last year. You know what I mean? So yeah. I mean, anything can happen. It's not a foregone conclusion that he's won yet. And if he does win, that's fine too. I'm, I'm, I like the fact that we're doing new and exciting things. I think... That's been a complaint of some fan bases is that they do the same stuff all the time. And right, and we even got questions like, is it kind of boring if you know it's predictable? Well, this one's definitely not predictable. Yeah. But here's my problem. This company is a company that is primarily based on in-ring work. He is having quote-unquote good matches, and he's having decent performances, but what he's doing is not sustainable. Because he's not working to a high level. He's going out there and he's not like to me as, and maybe I'm just being an elitist when I say this, but he's not going out there and having blow away performances. He's going out there and brawling and like the same kind of crap in a different way. But like how so many people are like, I don't like Cody because he's having smoke and mirror matches. Dude, John Moxley is having smoke and mirror matches. So let me ask you this: Is there a difference between John Moxley brawling every match and Suzuki brawling every match? Yes. What's the difference? Uh, Suzuki is one of the greatest workers of all time, and when he gets in the ring and it's time to actually work, he can go. John Moxley to this point has not shown that, and that's the difference. He's doing some things that are really good. He's throwing good knee strikes, and he's um, having some. Like, I'm torn because he he's definitely putting a lot of thought into the stories of the matches, for sure. And he's doing entertaining things. But i kind of been giving him the past, been like, you know, that was fine, but I can't wait till we get to see him work. And mm-hmm. then it doesn't happen. And then I'm like, well, that was fine. I'm going to give him the past. I can't wait till we get to see him work. And then it doesn't happen. The other thing is that um, he's getting so much offense on everybody. On every, including Naito, like the the, the 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 only guy who's gotten in the Naito match, they kind of covered for it at the end because Naito kicked out of the dirty deeds and all that and got hit him with the Destino. But dude, most of these guys are not getting any offense, and they're selling their asses off. And his offense is not that great. Like he's going out there and he's just hitting them with some light brawling crap that does not look that good, and they're having to sell their asses off. They are what are making the matches. I I think that part of this is that John Moxley is supposed to go out there and like prove himself, and I don't think he's doing it. And it's kind of like double sided because at the same time you can clearly see he's getting so over with the fans, and the gimmick is getting so over, 
and the stuff he's doing with Shota Umino is so entertaining. His look is incredible. He's unpredictable. He's winning all his matches. He's having a fantastic tournament from that standpoint. But, like, they're burying all their talent for one guy. And I think it's very possible that it's very short-sighted. Now, if I'm wrong in this, and this is all leading to something that's good for the company, awesome. But, bro, I've seen New Japan do this for so many, like, WWE guys where they just put over guys. Like, he's not going out there. He's not having one of the best tournaments of any of the guys out there. Like, he, you know, he's not out there like Archer or, like, Osprey or Ishii or Shingo. Like, right. I, I still think I would probably have him at least my top ten, I would think, of guys in the tournament. Maybe. If, if he was, he'd be at the bottom of that list. Maybe. That's my thing. Like, maybe. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, that's why I'm torn on it. It's like, I would rather John Moxley lose a couple times and win the tournament, but have blow-away matches where he really proves what he what he's worth. I don't think John Moxley's proven anything. Um, well, I, well, I, I think I, part of it, too, maybe that's the whole brawling thing. Maybe that's, that's just part of the gimmick. Like, Yeah, but it sucks. It sucks uh, if that's all he's doing. It's not, but the whole match is not just brawling, but just like yeah, but plunder the part, though. But, but the part in the ring is not very good. Uh, I don't know. I, it's just it's just okay, and it's not even really that okay. Like it's just okay. Like the thing is, is like anytime someone starts getting offense on them, he cuts them off immediately, and his offense isn't that great, and he fucks them up. Like he's fucking everybody up. He's getting eighty percent of the offense. And that's fine if that's how you want to get him over. I'd rather him get over by actually having show, showing what he can do in the ring. And they're not doing that. They're doing it by covering it up with all the smoke. It is smoke and mirrors. That's what they're doing. Like him hitting all these knees and doing all the brawling and all that. It is smoke and all the character work. It's that smoke and mirrors, man. That's what it is. So that's why it's not really getting. I'm like at the end of this match, and. Believe me, like, I obviously do like all the guys he's beaten. So there was a part of me that's like, man, as a fan, I'm like, dang, it kind of sucks he beat all my favorites. Mm-hmm. But it's not the fact that he beat them. It's the way he's beating them. He's made everybody look like none of them have ever been on his level or could be. The, the, the You know who's probably been closest to him on his – Shingo is the, the guy that has looked the best against him his whole time here. Everyone's getting buried in a way. Like, it's like, he looks like a juggernaut, but then he, he's not having that good. If he was coming in as a juggernaut, but then looked really, really impressive, that would be one thing. But it's not like he's like Goldberg out there, like, you know, fucking guys up. Like, it's breaking my suspense of disbelief, having to watch them sell for him when his offense is not very good. I don't know, man. There, I don't think I can name a match in this tournament of his that I, I haven't really liked. I feel like everything is... I, don't think that the Jeff Cobb or the Tai Chi match were great. They weren't great, but they were good for what... They were like, what, seven minutes? And he was went there and killed them? They were good for what they were. They were like little, nice little squash matches. Yeah. But both of those guys, he just freaking squashed them, didn't take any bumps. The Ishii match, yeah, it was great, but Ishii had 20% of the offense. He got completely fucked up. The match with Shingo, you know, that was a pretty good... That was a good match. Um, but at the same time, again, like... Moxley was so dominant over Shingo and then Naito he was really dominant over him and like the Naito match should be a match that should be fantastic because 
there is money between these two guys as names with one another. And even if he's going to beat Naito, this should have been close to five stars or at least higher. Like this should have been a better match than it ended up being that way down the line. It continues to make money. So we want to see it again. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's nothing about this match that made me want to see it again. I'm it's a one-off to me. I'm just like, all right, well Moxley beat Naito and that's it. There are very compelling things that are happening for, for character storyline and uh, tournament implications. But, um, and I'm not again. I'm not opposed to Moxley winning all these matches, but I don't think Moxley's coming out here and proving anything, bro. I really don't. I think that I think it is what you said. It's very similar to TNA bringing in a WWE guy and putting him over just because he's a WWE guy. That's what they're doing. Yeah, but I don't know. I think it's one of those situations where it's working though. He he's the hottest guy in all of wrestling right now. It's working short term, but you can't, this is not sustainable, and that's the problem. This needs to be sustainable. He cannot do what he's doing and have a, a lengthy career in New Japan because he's not working up to the level. Well, I guess we'll have to see you. I'm happened. telling you. I'm telling you. I, I know this for a fact. Moxley is not working up to the level. Um, his plunder and brawling matches are nowhere near the level of Jericho's. And they should be because he's way younger and he's and he's way more athletically, like capable at this point in his career. He should be having much better matches than Jericho was, and he's not. I would put the Juice Nishii matches up there. I wouldn't. I thought it was like four and a half. It was and, and it was very very good for what it was, but it's like, to me, it's like in a vacuum, it's great. But there's a lot of problems that are going to persist long term if they keep doing this. Now, who knows? Like, you know, I, I would love to say that I just trust Gato, like I always do, and be like, you know, they know what they're doing, and, you know, they're just trying to build a star, and we're maybe I'm just being too butthurt about all this, and we'll go from there. But I, I got to tell you, like, my biggest problem is I just don't think John Moxley's proving anything in the ring. I don't know, man. I, I, I've been liking what I've been seeing in the ring, and I loved in this match, he busted out the old school uh, Dirty Deeds, that headlock driver. Nice, took a crazy was that bump. Was the one percenter? Yeah. Yeah, I like that move a lot, actually. Crazy head. Uh, Is, he used to call that Dirty Deeds, too? Yeah, that was the original Dirty Deeds. And okay, they, and see, they I sw- didn't know that. And then they switched it to the double arm DDT. Mm. Uh, so, like that. Again, love the regal knee tremblers. tremblers. Um, there's a lot of great character stuff in the beginning of this match with uh, Mox kind of being... Frustrated with how slow Naito was taken to get into the ring, and both take, them laying on the ground and and like doing <laughs> saying "Come get me," basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of great back and forth action. I I thought overall it was a great main event. I went uh, four and a quarter on it, uh, and I thought it was, I would have gone about four on this. Yeah. So uh, let's get into these questions. I'm sure this will. Uh, there's a lot of great talking points from these questions here. So, first from Reddit user uh, Viking Pain says, "Please go more in depth with the Moxley NJPW contract situation, if you could. With this big of a push he's getting in the G1, the guy has to be in the company's plans for a while." Did we hear anything back from our sources? No, I reached out to one of <laughs> our sources. I haven't uh, heard anything back yet. So, I mean, we don't know exactly what Moxley's contract situation is. I mean, the only thing that we've heard. That pretty much everybody else has heard is that the New Japan contract was negotiated before the AEW contract. Yeah. Which makes me think that there was some kind of long play plan for Moxley of New Japan if that was the first promotion 
that he was going to. I would agree with that. I mean, so before we started the show, you and I were talking, and we were talking about why why he was booked so strong. And I was like, basically, in my opinion, there's three different outcomes. One is that they are building him up so that he can just put somebody else over very quickly and make and make them a bigger star based off of the defeat. The other thing is that maybe they, because of the AEW situation, they are going to have limited dates on him. And so they are trying to maximize this stretch of time that they have right now to do as much with him as they possibly can to make as much money as they possibly can so that they can get as much juice out of the squeeze as possible. The other thing which you brought up, which I think is totally plausible, is that they are going to have him for a, for quite a while, whatever kind of uh, capacity that's in. I don't know. Maybe you can weigh more in on that. But yeah, if- I mean, because my thinking here is so we know with AEW, they're not going to be doing many house shows if they're going to do any at all. It's pretty much going to be the TV and the pay per views, and they're I think they're they talked about Saturday house shows basically. They said they might do some, but it's not going to be all the time. And then they're going to do, like, four big pay-per-views, and then there might be some, like, fighter fest-type stuff in between. So you got to think these AEW guys are probably going to get maybe somewhere between maybe 60 to 70 dates within a year, mm-hmm. which leaves a lot of time. On the weekends, if they're not running a pay-per-view or doing a house show or a you know a fighter fest or fight for the fallen, that leaves time for guys to do internationally. And Tony Khan has said in press interviews that um, AEW guys will be able to do stuff internationally, and Mo- obviously Moxley is one of those guys. So I I could see there being some kind of long-term play with Moxley. Um, not having to work that many dates in the states for AEW. That's true, especially. It is. I was going to say, we saw this very similar situation with the Elite and Ring of Honor. Obviously, it's not the same thing because Ring of Honor would have, uh, you know, TV tapings, whereas it seems like AW is going to be live on Wednesdays. Yeah, it's going to be two hours live every week. But at the same time, even though he's a big star there, he doesn't have to be there all the time. There's de- right. There's definitely ways to get him out of the story or not even have him on the show. Or he can cut a promo, a pre-tape uh, promo. There's all sorts of things you can do there. So I think that that's, that's one interesting thing. I, I think the the idea, though, is like what kind of involvement are we going to see from Moxley if he does stick with New Japan long term? I mean, you know, are we going to see him on regular tours, like a destruction tour? Or is he just coming in for big shows, you know? We don't really know. But it does seem like why would you put this guy over this strong unless it's one of these three scenarios? And if I was New Japan, I wouldn't do this unless hypothetically – I was going to have long-term booking plans for him going forward. Yeah. So next question comes from Ricky here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network from the Ricky and Clyde Wrestling Show. Check that out. He says, how do you feel about the way Moxley has been booked? Do you agree with how heavily he has been pushed in the G1? (laughs) Well, you guys heard my... my... Actually, I I have no problem with how heavily he's been booked. I, I don't. I think it's fine. It's more the the match structures that I have a problem with. That's my biggest thing. But I think it's exciting to have this outside character come in and run roughshod over the tournament in a way that you're not expecting. I think that right. that's really great. Uh, yeah, I think Moxley's involvement has pretty much turned this tournament upside down on its head. 
Yeah. I mean, in previous years, you would probably have more. It probably would be more predictable on who was winning what if you maybe you had, you know, Makabe in here instead of Mox, or you had, you know, Yoshihashi instead of Mox. Um, so definitely having Mox definitely changes the d- dynamic of this whole tournament. Uh, I don't I don't have a problem with the way he's being booked. I like that it's been unpredictable. Like I said, he's the hottest uh, star in wrestling right now. Everybody's talking about him. All the interviews, all the promos, he's he's doing stuff. You know, he's going to be doing GCW Bloodsport. He's got all these cool promo videos. Um, he's very entertaining, all the Shota Amino stuff. Like, he's getting over, and he's getting great reactions from the New Japan crowd, um, obviously in the Western crowd. So I think it's a win, especially if they can use this to bring more eyes to New Japan, increase that New Japan world subscription, and then use him to help get somebody else over. John Moxley in New Japan 2019 is basically the equivalent of Tenryu in New Japan in 1993. John Moxley, the modern day Tenryu. <laughs> uh, next question comes from Reddit user Black Saber Jr. I love that name. It's <laughs> yeah, freaking awesome. That is a great name. He says, I am low key, not actually low key, uh, pissed at Moxley running through so many of my boys. Shingo, Cobb, Ishii. I literally sat in shocked silence <laughs> when he beat Naito. With the G1 thoroughly ruined, slightly joking, do you think we go down the Okada-Moxley final route, or are, we st- are you still backing Naito? Do we want to start talking about outcomes and math right now, or do you want to save that till the end of this match? Uh, let's say that when we talk about the rankings, so we can talk about who's eliminated and who's alive and what needs to happen. Yeah, that's, um, that's a great question, though. I will say, I mean, it is a high possibility now that they could do Okada Mox in the finals, especially if, um, you know, you're not going to have Mox going forward as much going forward. We don't know. We don't know. So you could, like you were saying, like you might not be able to do that Okada Mox down the line, so let's do it now. That was one of my ideas is like if, if you want to get that match but you don't. Okay, so here's one of the things. It's like here's what I thought about that. New Japan wants Okada to beat Moxley, hypothetically speaking. They're like, we that's who we want our top guy, our top champion to beat Moxley. And so the best way for all parties for them to do this is it means more for Okada to beat him if they build him up as a juggernaut. And people who don't like Okada are probably cringing at this idea. They're like, more Okada, more, you know. <laughs> but, like, just hear me out. It means most for the defender of New Japan to beat this outside Gaijin when he's at his apex. Conversely, for Moxley, it cushions the loss more than any other way for him to have destroyed the entire block before he takes the loss. Mm -hmm. And he's still hypothetically U.S. champion. He still has stories going forward. It's It's during a tournament finals against the top guy. There's no shame in that. And if they can't hypothetically get a big money match between them in the near future like they'd want to... Maybe this is the way that they do it. Right. The thing is, is like, Budokan's already sold out. Or they're not doing... Yeah, they're doing a Budokan, yeah. right? Last three nights for a Budokan. So I don't know if you do this there. Like, you know what I mean? I don't know if that's what you do. To me, it seems like if you did it there, for it's almost like you're being petty. Like, you're New Japan. You're like, we want to establish... Well, I guess that equates to more money for Okada and for the company down the road. So that's probably an okay idea, but... That's one thing, and like if if I'm AW and Tony Khan, and I don't really want our top guy to lose, but he has to. Maybe that's the best case scenario for how it could happen. Yeah. 
And as far as still backing Naito, I dude, my I am have very low confidence right now that Naito is winning this thing. We'll talk about in a second when we go to the rankings what has to kind of happen. I wouldn't I wouldn't back I wouldn't put money on Naito anymore. Um, I am a I'm disappointed not because I'm like a diehard Lij fan, but because I really liked the story that was hypothetically laid out, and also I just want to be right, and the fact that I'm not <laughs> right kind of makes me mad. But the thing is, there are still some things that give me pause to think that maybe there's a chance, but it's so unlikely at this point. Yeah, and uh, hopefully a lot of people didn't uh, listen to Joe Lanza and uh, put some money down on this thing. <laughs> um, so yeah. So, oh, he has a bonus question. Yeah, bonus question from Black Saber Jr. He says, "Are people giving Moxley's in-ring work too much praise?" I've seen people talk about him as one of the top performers of the tournament, and I don't see it. Different and interesting matches with great workers, but he's mainly smoking mirrors, working amazing talent. Turns out I'm hella salty about John Moxley. It doesn't help Zach's losing. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I agree with I agree with what he's saying. Is this your burner Reddit Reddit account? <laughs> Listen, sir, that is the equivalent of blackface on Reddit. I would never do that. <laughs> You know I don't play that. No, I would not have a name that's that's Black Saber Jr. That is highly offensive. No, this is not my burner account. And you know what? I did not see these questions ahead of time, so I did not know that 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 Black Saber Jr. was going to be saying this. But you know what? I agree with him. I do think that I think he's absolutely right. I think that the matches are different and interesting, and that he's being paired with great workers. But I don't see that he's having great performances. I think the guys he's wrestling are great performers, and these are unique matches. And that's why, what when I say it's not sustainable, this these different and unique, interesting matches, this is not a success for a sustainable career in New Japan. You can't do this forever. It's it's gonna be like when I compare him to Jericho because Jericho's already losing cachet because you can't keep doing what Jericho does all. The, the big difference there is that he's an attraction, and so we have enough time to kind of miss him. And then when he comes in, we want him to do that. Mm-hmm. But if Moxley's going to be here all the time, he cannot do this. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if he if he's going to continue with the brawling style. If he, eventually, he's going to have a match where he kind of wrestles a more traditional New Japan style. I mean, there are a lot of aspects of his in ring work that I like. Like I'm, I love the regal knees. Uh, I know I love I'm loving the new uh, Death Rider. Um, I do too. Some of his suplexes that he's doing, you know, the butterfly suplex, um, a lot of other stuff that he's doing in ring wise, bringing back the old dirty deeds. Um, there are some in ring stuff that I've been liking that he's doing, and like you mentioned, it's it's different, and maybe that's why I'm digging it so much. And I've, I've always been a fan of John Moxley, you know, going back to the FCW days when he was feuding with Rollins for the FCW 15 Championship and feuding with William Regal and Mick Foley. So I don't know, maybe I'm just a Moxley mark. Um, well, here's one thing. I have no problem with him brawling because you brought up Suzuki. But what did I say about Suzuki? He gets it done when he gets in the ring. I have no problem with the moves that he's doing. I think the moves he's doing are cool. But like I said about Jeff Cobb earlier, Jeff Cobb does amazing moves. But I don't think in the ring that what he's doing is compelling enough. I think that it's very lacking. And I think that he needs to show more in ring-wise besides just the brawling and having a couple cool spots. That's what it, that's my problem, and I think this kid's right, or guy, or girl, or whoever you are, Black Sabre Jr. <laughs> However you'd like to uh, address yourself. Yeah, I don't want to assume anything. <laughs> uh, so next from uh, Noel Dynasty two four nine zero 
on Reddit asks, if you were an odds maker in Vegas, what would the number be on Moxley actually losing his last four? Uh, these odds questions. Right. So <laughs> we, we're not gambling people. We're, we're not. This is a Christian household. <laughs> like, uh, you know, I, I've never gambled or bet on anything in my life. I don't know how these these uh, odd numbers, you know, how I would even set an odds numbers up on this. But I will say this. It, it's highly unlikely that Moxley is going to lose four straight. Yeah, that's it's so unlikely that he's losing four straight. That's crazy sounding. Like maybe maybe three, maybe I could see him losing three, but four. But even that sounds crazy. Even that's unlikely. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Uh, and then the next question comes from Twitter user at underscore the Bruiser. He says, "Is Naito alive?" And I, I don't know if he's referring if like Naito is like actually alive or like alive in the tournament points wise. Um, as far as I know, he's still alive and breathing. I mean, he did take a nasty bump with that um, that headlock driver. But... Do you think that he's asking like is he like suicidal because of like <laughs> the way they booked him? <laughs> Maybe, but uh, you know we'll, we'll talk in a second whether he's um, still alive points wise. Uh, next question comes from Reddit user Maserati. My He's, dog Maserati. Yeah, Maserati. He says, "What could Naito's future storyline consist of? I'm assuming a rematch with Mox at Wrestle Kingdom could be an option to get his win back, but w- would that require Mox to stick around past the G1 when he already when he would already be over at AEW? Plus, I don't see Naito fitting into a world title <laughs> contention if he's mixing it up with Mox this year like he was with Jericho last Wrestle Kingdom. Dude, they need to not do that. Um, I think that's a terrible. Well, okay." If they were going to do that, I think that this match needed to be a lot more compelling. The match was fine, but there's nothing about this match that made me think, God, Naito needs to get his comeuppance on, on Mox. No, nah, he, he got beat bad. That's it. Like, at least the Juice match, you kind of felt like Juice needed to get revenge. This doesn't feel like that at all. Um, and I would hate if that's Naito's character arc for the rest of his career. Lose a big match. Come back, win, get his win back, lose a big like that's fifty fifty booking. That sucks. I hope they don't do that. And I don't think there's money in it. If there was money in it, this match needed to be a lot better than it was. Yeah, I I, I wouldn't want to do. I wouldn't want to see Mox versus um, Naito at Wrestle Kingdom. If Mox is gonna be at, at Wrestle Kingdom, I'd probably want him to face somebody in the A block that he hasn't had a one on one match with yet. So it's a fresh matchup. I agree. Uh, so, yeah, I wouldn't do the Naito match. Or at least have some sort of personal conflict with right something. And as far as um, storyline, Naito's storyline future, well, if he doesn't win the G1, I mean, he's still the Intercontinental Champion, and I guess the rest of his year is defending that belt and trying to take that to Wrestle Kingdom to defend against somebody. Who knows, man. <laughs> I literally, I, I, can't, I couldn't picture anything else other than what I've imagined laid out for him. I have no clue what they're doing. Next question comes from Reddit user, why did you do that, bro? Who's actually in the lead right now in our G1 Climax Pick'em. I know some of you asked to kind of see where you're at. I was trying to get it up on the site, but the embed code from Google Sheets wasn't working, so I think I'm just going to send the Google Sheets link out so you guys can see where you are in the the rankings. But right now, uh, why did you do that, bro, is in the lead right now. Uh, he asks, there are really uh, people who think Mox is going undefeated because he beat Naito. 
Did these guys forget about Kenny starting 6-0 and last year or what? Or how Gato likes to book people from coming from behind to win the block? I agree entirely. Um, I, I, I think that can apply to Mox and to Okada. Yeah. And he's absolutely right. The only thing that's different, though, the only thing that's different is last year when Kenny was on this run, there was, in my mind, I was like, there's no way in hell he's winning the entire block for, for many different reasons. Uh, the math just didn't work out. And then you looked at his last three opponents. It's like Ishii, uh, Yano, and Ibushi. Ibushi. And it was like, he's not going undefeated through this. Like, there's too many story elements. Uh, whereas with Mox and Okada, I don't think either of them are going quote-unquote undefeated. But I could see both of them winning the block now. And I could see both of them potentially winning the G1. Potentially. <laughs> so I have a different feeling about it than I did with Kenny last year. But I think he's right. Gato likes to book people from coming from behind to win the block. And I, I think people are kind of forgetting that. Yeah, I mean, it is like you mentioned, yeah, Kenny took three straight, straight losses last year. So that's completely possible for both Okada and Mox coming down a stretch here. Uh, next question comes from Reddit user Rambone Slam Pig. He says, is the window for Naito to have a significant run with the top belt closing, giving the emergence of Osprey, Ibushi, White, and others? Any word on what effect, if any, interpromotional politics had on the booking of Moxley and Cobb in the G1? Yes, the window for Naito having a significant run at the top with the belt is closing, given all that. Not only that, given his body breaking down. All of that is a factor. Um, I haven't heard anything about interpromotional politics playing into this, but I gotta imagine they do. I really gotta imagine that they, yeah. they, they play a big factor in this. You gotta think on the AEW side, obviously they're not really talking to each other, but I'm sure... There had to be some kind of discussion, maybe it was between Mox and Khan being like, make sure they book you well over there or something. I don't know. I feel like there has to be some kind of. Although, did you hear this week that like now Dave is saying that the uh, that the that the relationship isn't as bad as once thought? Yeah. Which I'm like, which is it? Like literally last week you were like, it's dead. It's in. It's dead in the water. They don't talk. It's and now he's like. Well, it's not as bad as we once thought. So that kind of makes me think like he doesn't know what he's talking about when it comes to that. Yeah, I, I don't have no idea what's going on there. As far as Cobb, I mean, here's the thing. It's the Ring of Water partnership. It's slowly fading away. It's not as strong as it was. It's like every relationship I've ever been in. You watch it. <laughs> oh my. You watch it slowly fade away. You can see the you can see all the warning signs. It's it's breaking. It's falling apart. It's fading away and it will classify itself as obsolete. Um, Absolute. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it, Ring of Honor guys when they go to New Japan typically aren't really booked super strong. Like, can you think of a Ring of Honor guy that's had like a great run or like did something like out of this world in New Japan? Or Cody. Okay, there's Cody. But besides Cody, like besides like a Bullet Club guy. I mean, you've had. Uh, I mean, Kyle O'Reilly. I mean, you. I mean, Red Dragon. I guess. Uh, I almost said AJ, but I think like AJ is kind of almost more in New Japan. Yeah, he was more in New Japan. He made sporadic appearances in Ring of Honor. But he was technically signed to Ring of Honor first, and then he, he was. Kind of, I thought he was signed to New Japan first. I could be wrong. I thought he was signed to Ring yeah. of Honor first, but I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the the one guy that comes to mind is Cody, honestly. I mean, I guess you could say Adam Cole-ish. Yeah, but I feel like, yeah, most guys that come over from Ring of Honor aren't, like, booked, like, 
super strongly or like out of this world, you know, it's, they're kind of like either kind of like 50-50 or they kind of, you know, you have the few guys like Cody that kind of get to the top, um, you know, being a part of Bullet Club. Obviously the Bullet Club guys are going to get pushed, but, you know, a guy like Cobb, you know, I think he's being booked the way he should be, honestly. Yeah, I don't know if anything I, – I think more when I think about the inter-promotional politics, I think more about Moxley. But like you said, it, it doesn't have to be necessarily any influence from AEW because, like you've mentioned, how hot Moxley is, how much of a commodity he is. He might have already got – he might have been getting this sort of push regardless of the fact. So we don't know how much that really plays into it. But, you know, if I'm Tony Khan and I have investment in this guy, I don't want to see – I don't want to see him losing, but you know we got to be clear here. It's not like AEW sent is sending Moxley to work for New Japan. That's right. not a situation like this. Is something he's doing on his own. He did it. You know what I mean? But uh, I don't know how much the politics are playing into it. But I bet you, I bet you Moxley is trying to do just like everybody. He's trying to protect his spot, as they say. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So and he has the ability to bargain and and you know make sure he's take he's well taken care of. So yeah. So next from Reddit user, that was five stars. How do you feel Mox's influence is going to affect Shota moving forward? I thought the backstage promo with them was hilarious. You know, I didn't see this backstage interview. Did you watch it where they were given the double bird? Um, I saw it, but I was kind of like half paying attention to it because I was working on updating the points. So I didn't completely hear what they said. I know I did hear Umino say, like, Mox was like, let Umino talk. And then Umino was like, G- uh, John Moxley is going to win the G1 Climax. <laughs> <laughs> I also saw where I didn't see. see I haven't, I've been barely able to catch up on these, so I haven't been watching the post-matches. But I saw a lot of people talking about what uh, Moxley attacked uh, an interviewer. Yeah, he, like, grabbed an interviewer, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I think that. I think that this stuff that they're doing with Shoto Umino is very, very interesting, um, and if booked right, it could they could really parlay this into him having a prominent role in the company outside of his young lion status without even going on an excursion. And we've we have seen things like this. It's been a long time, but we've seen things like this in the past. I mean, um, not that he never went on excursion, but you know, like. Tenzan and Chono comes to mind to a certain degree, like mentors who have elevated their their mentees. And I mean, yeah, I think that I think that that would be a great way to kind of establish a character for Shoto Umino as this influence from the Death Rider. Yeah, yeah, I'm loving the interactions as well. And I think it would be great to kind of yeah use that influence to um, enhance him. Uh, next question from uh, Zachary Shiloh on Twitter. This with Mox and Okada now tied. Can you see them in the finals? Uh, benefits of either guy winning the final. How would you feel if one of these two win the G1? I think it's a possibility. I think it's my one of, of the likely scenarios. I think it's the least likely of the likely scenarios that I see personally. Um, but again, they might do it because they want to make that match, potentially. I think if you're going to have Mox win, it would be better for him to not face Okada and you save that for Wrestle Kingdom. If that's the way you want to go, yeah. then do it there. You know what I mean? Right. Um, then again, you still have to think about the U.S. title. Not that it's that important, but you know, I'm wondering how that plays into everything and the situation with Juice. Uh, with Okada, though, that would be such a feather in Okada's cap to go over Mox 
if he's going to win the tournament that is. You know what I mean? Because um, any of the other guys that are likely to win, you know, outside chance Naito, um, Jay White, and that's pretty much it. Those are guys he's beaten. Um, the Jay White would kind of make more sense to me than anything else. But Mox is a new opponent. That would be a huge deal if Okada were to beat him and at the you know in a final. Yeah. Given that he's a former WWE champion, his status in the, in the wrestling world right now, I could kind of see that. And I think I think there's an interesting story to tell with Okada winning the G One if he were to win it, because uh, that would have us in a situation where there would be no briefcase. Because I would a, love that he's a champion, so we would we would go into the fall season with no briefcase and then there has to be some new way to determine who's going to face a champion at Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, and we asked him about this during the tournament or during the media scrum in Dallas. He said he would select his own uh, challenger. I don't know if they would allow him to do that or not or how that would even work out, but um, that's interesting. My thing is this. If Okada goes to the finals, in my opinion, and maybe I'm just wrong on this, one of two things is happening. Either Okada's winning or the guy that's beating Okada is not going to end up facing Okada uh, at Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah. Because they genu- generally don't ever have a main event at Wrestle Kingdom that they've done in the previous calendar year. Like, I can't remember the last time they've ever done that. So it would be more likely, like, it, let's say it is Mox. Mox beats him. Then you have yourself a situation where Mox could hypothetically lose the briefcase or Okada could lose the IWGP title and you have some sort of new match established for Wrestle Kingdom. I don't think that they're going to do a rematch of the Wrestle Kingdom final at, uh, or I'm sorry, of the G1 final at Wrestle Kingdom. Unless, unless like the fact that Mox beat Okada is just that, heat inducing to where people are like oh my god okada needs to that needs, be, to, get the, needs yeah. to get his win back that's possible uh it's just that's a whole new, again they're, they're going in so many new directions all bets are Dude, off the table literally possible anything can happen yeah this is so unpredictable so uh let's talk about the rankings and then we'll uh give a quick preview of the uh nights to come this coming up week um so let's look at the a block we'll start at the bottom so at the bottom of the block, we have Bad Luck Fale, Zack Sabre Jr., and Sonata with one win and four losses and two points. And I believe all three of those guys were mathematically eliminated, right? Not yet. Uh, Zack Sabre Jr. and Bad Luck Fale are both eliminated. Sonata is still currently alive. Okay. So yeah, so this point in the tournament, yeah, Fale and Sabre are out. Sonata still has a shot, a uh, very slim shot, but he still has a chance. Uh, then we have Osprey and Archer um, tied for four points, two and three. We have Abushi, who's uh, three and two with six points. We have Evil, three and two with six points. Also, Tanahashi, three and two with six points. Then second place, four and one with eight points. We have Kenta, and then on top of the block, Okada, five and zero oh with ten points. Yep. Then at the B block at the bottom of the block, um, all tied for last one and three, two points. We have Jeff Cobb, Jay White, and Hiroki Goto. 
Then we have, um, with four points all tied, we have uh, Shingo, Tomiro Ishii, Naito, Toriyano, and Taichi. Then second place with three wins and one loss, we have... Wait, aren't they all tied for four points right now? Yeah. Tai- Shingo, Yano, Taichi, Naito, Cobb, Goto, and White all have four points. Oh, I must have copied the wrong rankings here. Yeah, I did. Yeah. You're fine. Yeah, they, they all have four points right now. Yeah, so they all have four. And then uh, Juice is three and two. Yep. And then uh, Mox is five and oh, ten points. So Juice and Ishii are tied at six points. And then Moxley is undefeated with ten points. So firmly above the rest of the, the grouping. Um, there was some mathematics. So there was a post on Reddit. Uh, shout out to uh, Reddit user General Series. Uh, they compiled this list, and I thought uh, some of this was interesting. So right now, Zack Sabre Jr. and Balak Fale are both completely eliminated mathematically. Um, on top of that, if Okada wins any of his last four matches, then at that point, Osprey and Sonata are both out. So, with that being said, it's very likely that Osprey and Sonata are done at this point. So, for all intents and purposes, unless Okada loses the next four... You've got Zack, Fale, Osprey, and Sonata done. As well, if Osprey loses to Zack Sabre Jr., then he's automatically out. And if Sonata loses to Kenta, he's automatically out, which are both possible scenarios. So big stakes in those matches. If Okada beats Archer tomorrow, then Archer's out, as well as Osprey and Sonata. And if Okada wins two of his last four, then Tanahashi's automatically out. And for every match that Tana loses, that chance gets even worse um as far as the b block goes right now everybody's still alive technically speaking but whoever loses between Cobb and shingo is out so that's an automatic eliminator and that i think that's one of the next ones um if moxley beats yano on this next night then naito taichi Cobb, shingo yano and the loser of ishii and goto are all eliminated that's crazy that's crazy <laughs> So it makes me feel like Yano might beat Moxley. Yeah, I feel like that's something that's going to happen. I would count on Yano picking up the big win over Moxley, like his first loss in the tournament, just because how many guys that Naito, Taichi, Cobb, Shingo, Yano, and then either Ishii or Goto, that's six guys. That's that's almost the whole block. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, Now, talking about Naito, in order for Naito to go through – to the finals, Moxley must uh, either lose all of his next four or lose three and draw one. And then at the same time, Naito has to win all of his remaining matches. So that's the only way that Naito could possibly win is if if Moxley loses three and draws one or loses all four. Those are... That's... Dude. Yeah, that's a tough ask. Yeah, that... I, it's crazy. I mean, they could do it, and it would be a great comeback from behind story. Um, you still have that Naito J White match on the last night, which you would have to think that ha- that has to somehow play. That's 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 what has that's the one misgiving I have is like the Naito J White match seems like okay. That's a a really we know that that's a protected match. They have never done that match. They've never thrown it away. They've saved it till now. It's weird that they would treat it like a red herring to set up a Moxley 
G1 win. Although they might actually do that. That just seems like out of left field. Yeah. It feels to me like that either we are overestimating the value of that match and New Japan has less stock in it than we do, or um, it still has to have some sort of significance. And, and so a lot of screwy stuff is going to have to happen the rest of this tournament. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I think, you know, booking-wise and business-wise, I mean, I know those shows are pretty much already sold out, but I would think it's kind of bad booking to have Naito completely done before you even get to the finals. I agree. The final night. Here's the other crazy thing. If Moxley wins just two of his next four matches, then there's only one person that can beat him in the entire block. Juice. Juice Robinson. And the only way that that could happen is Juice has to go perfect 4-0 for the rest of the tournament. If Moxley wins the, the, like two more matches and Juice loses just one, then Mox will have already clinched the tournament before they go to the finals. They never do that. They never have somebody clinch a block before the finals. Now, I guess, hypothetically, quote-unquote, they could do that because they've already sold out a lot of these shows. So it doesn't really matter. It's not like they still have to put butts in seats. But that seems very anticlimactic and totally against their booking philosophy to do that. But Especially since they just did something kind of similar with the best of Super Juniors having Shingo pretty much lock that up. The only difference was Shingo never had it locked up because it was still up in the air until the final night True, with, yeah. with Taiji Ishimori. That's like that's the difference was was that you had someone who was really close in points the whole way through. And in this tournament you've got only two guys with six points and everyone else has four points and one guy that's gone roughshod over everybody. So it is it, it's similar but it is different. Yeah. Um if you want my opinion on this we thought originally that like mock or at least my opinion was that Robinson and Moxley would both kind of be eliminated maybe kind of be in play but be like sort of eliminated on that final B block night and the real eliminator was going to be Naito and Jay White it could still work out that way i guess but it's starting to feel like the reality is is that Juice and Moxley is the actual main event and the actual eliminator, and those are the two most likely finalists for the B block, which sounds that's out of left field. Yeah, it definitely is. Yeah, I mean, and I know that we don't want to tell you something the short thing because obviously with this G one, nothing the short thing. But I'm pretty confident that Juice is going to beat Mox in that last night. I think Juice is going to be the B block winner, which like this guy probably deserves it given how bad of a tournament he had last year. Like, it's been, a, like, such a... And it's funny, we had Mike Semperuti on last week, and he was kind of, like, given some... And he was great last week, but he did mention, like, he wasn't sure about Mox, and we were talking about, like, how it's been a work in progress and a slow burn, and it feels like maybe they're pulling the trigger on him this year. Like, this is this might be his tournament. Yeah. Uh, conversely, on the other side of things, um, Tanahashi and Kenta both, even though they have a lot of points, it feels like they are pretty much... Out of the, it seems like Kenta is probably going to get beat by Zach in the final. Yeah, I feel like yeah, his saber is going to spoil him that night. And because Tanahashi already got beat by Okada and Kenta, those were big losses that probably pretty much did him in. And he's going to be wrestling Osprey, but Osprey is pretty much already virtually eliminated, which means to me, Osprey didn't do as well in this tournament as we had anticipated. So the the match with Tanahashi is more like a, it's going to have. 
a spiritual like significance, but not actual real world significance to this tournament. So I think Tanahashi is pretty much out. I think he's not going to be one of the finalists. And I think my prediction of him and Naito is out the window. So it seems like Okada Ibushi is the most likely eliminator. And we had, I'd kind of been thinking, well, Naito and Ibushi doesn't, a lot of people want to see that, but I'm like, that's not really their style. They already did that three times this year. They don't usually do G1 finals like that where they've done the match so many times in the same calendar year. But if Naito's not going through and it's going to be either Mox or Juice, then the Okada-Abushi match makes more sense. Right, and then you're either going to send the winner of that match to go to the finals. So right now, preliminarily, my most likely finale, given the current standings, I think it's going to be Abushi and Juice Robinson. Which, who could have seen this all that coming? Do we have any but, brackets that say Juice and, and Ibushi? I have to look through. I don't think so. That sounds but so crazy. The, the weird thing about that for me is it's like, so, all right, so if they do Ibushi Juice, Ibushi's probably going to win, Ibushi's right? got to win, but he's in the same block as Okada. So, yeah, why would they give away Ibushi Okada in the same block if Ibushi's going to win? Like, why wouldn't they have just put Ibushi in the B block? You're right. That's you're That's right. the one thing I'm like, is Juice Robinson going to win the G1 climax? <laughs> do you think it's possible that we get Juice and Okada? Or do you think they just go full ham and put Okada and Mox in the final? Dude. <laughs> <laughs> At literally, like, I, I don't, dude, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I, I want to give a prediction. And then, and then there's that whole thing where it's like, but even though Naito seems so dead... And so does kind of Jay White. Then why are they facing, like, is them facing off on the final night just the establishment of their future feud? And that, like, because, uh, like, Maserati, I think, had asked about Mox and Naito being a future feud. Is like, I don't see that. But, like, what if they're doing Naito and Jay White on the final night? Because that is going to be a feud going forward. Like, Jay beats him, and then it's going to be IC title feud. That seems like a possibility and a likelihood, and maybe that's why they're on the final night against each other. But then there's that other part of me that's like, but this story with Naito and Okada seems so laid out for so long. Why are they on? And, and they kept them apart. They could have put them in the same block. Yeah, why did they keep them apart? Why did they wait this long to do this? Like, this seems like that always seemed the direction that they were going to go. Maybe they're still going to do that. Yeah. Like maybe that's what's bro. Gonna, they're working us. They're working us, and like they've 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 made Mox look invincible. And maybe I'm all pissed because they made Mox look invincible, and he's about to take four straight losses, or at least like a three, three, and, a, a, three draw. and a draw. Man, what if what if him and Juice draw with that? No, I think like, he would draw before that. Who are his last? So who are his last few opponents that we have coming up? Um, I know he has uh, Yano coming up. He has uh, Jay White coming up, and Goto, Goto, and yeah. Juice. Yeah. Okay, so that's the that's my problem. Uh, Jay White, I could see being beating him. Juice, I could see beating him. Yano, I could see beating him. I cannot see Goto beating John Moxley. Neither can I. I can't see him drawing with him, and I can't see him beating him. And that's what really throws the monkey wrench in that crap. But hey, nobody saw Goto going into the G1 finals that one year, right? Maybe Goto 
after all these L's is just you know, over it and just <laughs> no one, no one saw it, but at the same time it wasn't that unfathomable. Like he was like a like a high he was an IC level guy, like an upper IC level guy, and he was beating guys like Nakamura and things like that back then. That was a different time. Like it's not the same Goto. Uh, this is crazy. Yeah, that's dude. where we're at though. So like right now, those are your likely scenarios for everything. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, we did have a question here from Reddit user Dino Boy. I, oh, what what's his question? He says I had something I wanted to read that might be appropriate. I don't know. Uh, what about rankings? Or okay, no, we'll we'll ask we'll answer his question. Uh, so I don't even know if we can really answer this. It says in in kayfabe, how's it decided who goes into what block? The IWGP Council. They keep a ledger of the performances of all the wrestlers. They have many different criteria. Win-loss records play into it. Uh, factional standings play into it. Fighting spirit moments play into it. And then they, they have a tally system, and they meditate over it, and then they basically give everybody a ranking. That's how it works. Gotcha. So it's, it's the IWGP committee. It's not Harold May? No, he's not on it. <laughs> they have to keep they have to keep that separate. No, we uh in there is no kayfabe. In fact, it's funny. Um Tetsuya Naito was actually talking in a promo recently about this issue and he was saying that they need to have qualifiers to get into the G1 going forward because like he was like, "Look at some of these guys that are in here. It's ridiculous." And I was like, I was kind of like, "Yeah, I'd be with that." Like Add more prestige to it. Yeah, you have to you literally have to earn your spot to get in. I mean, that kind of made the match between Zack Saber and uh, Yoshihashi. Yoshihashi actually have meaning when like I could care less about that match. Suddenly, it actually had a modicum of of meaning. Yeah, uh, there was something I wanted to read though about this uh, tournament. Uh, I saw this on Reddit by uh, Reddit user uh, Side Real Sandman. I thought that basically said the main story of the G one is. Who's going to the dome? But there's so many great subplots that give every competitor a stake beyond that. And I thought that this was really good. They were saying Okada's on a warpath to be the first champion to win the tournament in a long time. Kenta's motivation is fighting to prove that he actually has a place in New Japan. Moxley wants to prove that he can hang with the very, very best in New in in the world. Naito's fighting to become the first double champion in NJPW history. Chaos went 3-0 against Jay White, finally getting their payback for his portrayal the, uh, the year earlier. The LA Dojo is becoming a faction in its own right, and the whole Goto thing. Uh, Juice seems to be gunning for Moxley more than he's gunning to win the G1. Osprey and Takagi are fighting to prove that juniors can hang with the big boys. Zack Sabre, Zack Sabre Jr. is trying and failing to prove the supremacy of Saberism. <laughs> and uh, Shota is being swayed and heavily influenced by Moxley. Um, the further into this tournament we go and, uh, you know, Folly's training to storm area 51. <laughs> so, um, they were saying all these little stories make the whole tournament so much more engaging. And I really love that idea that, you know, throughout all this, it's not just simply that these guys are, they just want to win a tournament. They all have their subplots. They all have their own motivations and everything's interlinked and that's what makes this tournament so freaking awesome. Yeah, it's so nuanced. There's great storytelling, great character development. Don't listen to the guys that tell you that there's no stories in New Japan because this tournament alone is full of stories. Yep. All right, so uh, now we're going to uh, move on real quick and give a quick uh, predictions on the upcoming four nights of the tournament. 
So uh, we have Night 11 coming up on Tuesday, July 30th, which is by the time you're hearing this today. Um, so we have Abushi versus Fale. Abushi. Uh, going Abushi as well. Uh, Osprey versus Saber. I'm going to take Saber. Ooh. Saber's on a warpath to uh, spoil, spoil yeah. people, and if he beats Osprey, Osprey's out. And also, you know, Saber is not that much bigger than him, but he's quote unquote a heavyweight, and I think he's gonna try to ground Osprey and tap him out. You know what? I, I don't know. I'm gonna go Osprey. I knew you were gonna go Osprey. It's fine. It's here's the thing. Like Saber, like, I feel like Saber should probably win, and he should probably end with ten points. But at this point, he's already lost four. He might as well go on the losing streak. Right. Like yeah. Give Osprey a big win. Keep Osprey alive. And then maybe you do Osprey versus Saber at Royal Quest. Yeah, I actually thought about that too, and that's not a bad way to go. And you could definitely do that. And their matches together are fantastic. So I actually hope and expect this to be about as good as what I've seen from them in the past. And so this might actually be a, a banger. So next we have uh, Okada and Archer. I think I'm going Archer. Ooh. Hot pick there. I don't know. Like, should I pick Okada? But like, Okada's gone five and five and zero, oh, and that would—I don't know. Like, who? <laughs> like who? Who could beat him? Like, who's gonna beat him? Yeah. Archer seems like a guy that you could actually like. What better way to elevate Archer in this tournament than to have him beat Okada? So I'm gonna have Archer go over him. Yeah, I think Archer makes a lot of sense. You know, we've been trying to predict fall tile defenses. And you know, normally the fall title offenses are pretty predictable. Normally the champion's gonna win. So why not give Archer a win, elevate him, give him a fall, do destruction in Hiroshima, Okada versus Archer, give him a big main event, and then have Do it at destruction? I mean or King of Pro Wrestling. I don't know I don't know. I don't know. I don't yeah, I actually think the destruction tour might be better. Yeah. I think that's a good call. Um and then because like the like the Kenny uh, Ishii last year. You do, yeah. do Okada Archer, give him a big main event. Okada wins. Archer's elevated former contender. They could do it at King of Pro Wrestling. They did Evil and Okada at King of Pro Wrestling a couple years ago, so that's yeah. possible. Yeah, but I think I'm with you. I'm going to go Archer. So then we have Ken, uh, Kenta and Sonata. I'm going to go Kenta, I guess. Uh, Sonata will be out once he with his next loss, pretty much. Yeah. You know what? Uh, I'm I'm gonna go Sonata. I'm yeah. I think that they're gonna keep Kenta alive, and then after that we've got Ta- Tanahashi and Evil, and I'm gonna keep Tanahashi alive as well. Yeah, I'm gonna go Tana. So then we have Night Twelve on Thursday, August first. We got Cobb versus Shingo. Shingo. Yeah, going Shingo. Cobb's gonna be out. Yep. Thanks for coming, pal. Uh, Yano and Mox. Yano. Yeah, I'm going Yano. That's gonna be. The uh, first big upset loss. Uh, Mox is not going to know how to handle the Yano antics. He's going to be feeling like he's on Monday nights again. Whoa. Yano's going to roll this man up. Hold up. Juice and Naito's the third match of the night. Yeah. Bro, they both need to go undefeated the rest of the tournament. <laughs> oh, man. I'm shocked right now. I did. I forgot they hadn't fought each other yet. Uh, Naito will be out if he loses, and Juice, he's Juice will still be alive, but Mox would have to lose. Mox will have to start losing though. Uh, I'm gonna go Naito. 
Yeah, that seems to make more sense because you have more options available. Um, but if they're going to keep pushing Mox the way they're going, I'm going to go Juice. Okay. Like, I wouldn't have, but now I feel like I have to. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I hope... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to root for Naito, but I'm going to predict Juice. Then we got Taichi and Jay White. Jay White. Yep. And then Ishii and Goto. Ishii. I don't know. I feel like this is one of these matches that could go either way. I feel like you have Goto go over if you're going to have him beat Mox, but if you're not, then you might as well just put yeah, Ishii yeah. over. I'll, I'll, I'll go with the safe bet and go for Ishii. Then uh, we have Night 13 on Saturday, August 3rd. We got Kenta and Fale. Fale. Yeah. Unless, I think Fale can beat him. I think that's a Fale match. Yeah, unless he can lock that game over on like he did on Archer. Fale has almost no points. Like, I think yeah. this is one of his big wins. Yeah, that makes sense. Fale. Then we have the Battle of Suzuki Goon, Saber and Archer. I don't know. It depends where they, they are at this point in the tournament, but I guess I'm going to go Archer. Uh, I'm going to go Saber here. I could see that. Then we have uh, Osprey and Evil. Osprey? I, I feel like New Japan would put Evil over, but I I want Osprey, I would put Osprey over, and I want Osprey to win, so I'm just I'm just going to go with Osprey. I'm going to pick Osprey. Uh, Tanahashi and Ibushi, rematch of last year's uh, G1 Finals. Ibushi. Oh, man, that's a tough one, but yeah, I think uh, Ibushi is going to get the win back from last year and uh, drill that Kamigoye into the ace's head. Then the main event of that night, we have Okada versus Sonata. Sonata finally beats Okada for the first time. Yeah, I think that's the right call. I think that's what you have to go. You need people who can beat Okada. There's a great built-in story there. I think Sonata's the guy to get an Okada loss here. Uh, and then on night 14, happening Sunday, August 4th, we have Ishii and Yano. Ishii. Yep, going with uh, Stone Pitbull there. Then we have Juice and Taichi. Juice. Yep, going with Juice also. Then we have Goto and Cobb. Goto? Yeah, I think that, yeah, I guess so. Uh, yeah, that one's kind of a toss-up too, but I'll just go Goto there. Then we have Mox and Jay White. I don't know. White, I guess. <laughs> uh, you know, for, for the option in this tournament, I, I'm going to go with the Switchblade also. But who knows? Like At this point, Mox could just freaking squash Yeah, Mox, Mox might just beat everybody. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, he's pulling that uh, hardcore Holly. Put Get, the belt on me, uh, and I beat yeah, everybody. everybody. <laughs> uh, and then the main event that night, we have battle of Lij, Naito, and Shingo. Uh, if Naito beat Juice, then he will beat Shingo. But if he lost to Juice, uh, I mean Naito should beat Shingo, right? Yeah, I'm gonna pick Naito either way. Yeah, I'm going Naito. So yeah, that wraps it up. So we got four nights next week. Should be some great stuff, bro. This is nerve. I've this, this. I'm way more like nervous about this. The outcomes this year than I, I've been. Dude, same here, man. This is so like so crazy, so unpredictable. Like things are coming out of left field. I'm loving it though. Yeah. So let's get into the news here. So um, light news week, but we're gonna keep go through it real quick. So. As we got off the air last week, there was a couple things that, that started breaking, so this is about a week old, but um, they made the official announcements for the first competitors for this year's Super J Cup, and um, not only is Liger a 
organizer, he will also be a uh, participant. I thought I read that he wasn't going to be participating. He is participating. In the shows, but not in the tournament, though. Am I wrong on that? Hold on, let's see if I could find that on the uh, NJPW site. Maybe I just glo- well. Oh, you're right. Okay, Jushin Liger will wrestle at the Super J Cup shows, will not be in the tournament. I'm an idiot. Okay, so Liger... Because when I saw the, gra- had no, the graphic, I, right. I got confused at first too, but when I, when I read that article... I misread it. I thought he was going to be in the in the tournament. Okay, so Liger will be on the shows. He will not be in the tournament. But the first three competitors that were announced, for sure, uh, show of Rapongi 3K, Dragon Lee, and a big surprise... TJ Perkins. Yeah, TJP, man. And you know what? I know there is a lot of internet hate for TJP. I know there are things in his personal life that I know haven't been proven yet, but people have seen or experienced whatever. I don't know any about that. Like what? There's stuff about him, like underage girls and... Oh, what? Like, I don't know the whole story. Like, I see people that kind of bash him about it and stuff like that, call him a creep and all this stuff. Dude... You guys probably don't want to know this, but, like, the majority of wrestlers are creeps. <laughs> like, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you guys know that or not, but this is a pretty dirty business. <laughs> but from an in-ring standpoint, I'm very excited. I love TJP. I've always thought this guy was a great wrestler from his stuff, uh, from TNA, Ring of Honor, the Cruiserweight Classic. He's a great worker. I think this is a great pickup and addition for this. I really liked his Evolve run. Yeah, his stuff in Evolve was good stuff as well. His Evolve was really good. Yeah, I mean, TJP... For those of you who don't know, he is a dojo guy. Uh, he trained in the LA dojo. He's one of Inoki's uh, prodigies and students. And uh, yeah, I think I I didn't dig any of the stuff that he was doing in WWE proper, but I did enjoy his run in the CWC. I didn't love it, but I enjoyed it. Yeah. But his stuff prior to getting to, into WWE was always fantastic. Oh, it's great. Yeah, yeah. His New Japan run was from uh, 02 to 05. Uh, he also was in the Best of Super Juniors 18 in 2011, where he uh, had wins over Davey Richards, Jado, and Taichi. Uh, speaking of that, there is an official New Japan profile for TJP that's already up. So, you know, they, they put that up for everybody, so it doesn't necessarily mean anything. But I think that's telling that they've already got a profile up for him. So, TJP might be part of this junior division going forward. So, yeah. interesting. Um, I also saw something on uh, Twitter the other day with Kevin Kelly. So there was a fan that was tweeting him. Uh, again, I know we're beating it to death, but I just thought it was worth mentioning. They mentioned the stuff with Chris Charlton, and they tweeted him. This is like three days ago, and they were like, you know, really glad the contro- controversy got worked out and that, you know, Chris Charlton's being brought back on the air and, you know, that everything worked itself out. And I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but Kevin was like, there never was controversy. Nothing. There was nothing to work out. Everything's good. Dave was just wrong. Yes. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's interesting because here's the thing. Uh, I if Dave, I think Dave's wrong sometimes, especially when it comes to Japanese stuff. Like for instance, he reports something different about the AEW New Japan relationship all the time. Uh, although he is someone who would know because he has relationship with those AEW guys. But at the same time, it's like. One day it's different than the next. So you see stuff like that. But uh, Dave probably wouldn't have come on the air and said something like – basically wouldn't have come on the air and said this is the specific situation. Here's who's involved. Here's who's making the judgment calls. You know what I mean? Yeah. Unless he'd like checked his sources. Here's the other thing too. It wasn't just 
It wasn't just Dave. A lot of people were reporting about this. Our sources said it. Our friends that have sources said the same thing. And again, those tweets that uh, Chris Charlton sent out before everything got resolved seemed to allude to the fact that there was a situation that was going on. Um, So it makes me wonder why, like, after the fact, like, everybody who was involved with it is like, there never was a situation, everything's good, Chris is still part of the team. It makes me wonder, like, if it's just, like, a company line sort of thing. It might be. Like, like there was never an issue. Everything's yeah. good. Um, the yeah. New Japan broadcasting team is, is fine. fine. <laughs> and real quick, before we move on to the next thing, there's kind of a breaking news item here I think we should cover right now? first. Yeah. So, Jushin Thunder Liger, he rings in Bushi Road's listing on the Tokyo Stock Exchange. Oh, wow. So, that happened today. Uh, Jushin Liger was among those on hand to mark the Bushi Road Company LTD listing on the Tokyo Stock Exchange at the special ceremony at the TSC. He's T- in full gear. <laughs> yes. At the <laughs> TSC Mother's Market ringing the exchange's famous bell. So, we uh, reported a few weeks ago about the potential about Bushi Road going public and being on the stock exchange, and looks like it's here. Let me tell you something. I'm learning a lot about the different types of stock exchange markets and commodities and securities. So I'm going to know more about this very quickly. But um, <laughs> but anyways, um, there is a new shirt that Will Ospreay just came out with. And on the shirt, he utilizes the slogan, Attack for the Next Generation, which was a slogan that Tanahashi had used when he was, you know, first breaking into superstardom a few, you know, what, a decade ago? even Well, even longer than that. So I think it's real interesting, but yeah, that shirt is now available, the new Osprey shirt, Attack for the Next Generation, and real interesting stuff. Um, there was an update on uh, Kota Ibushi. He put a, uh, some tweets out regarding his ankle. His ankle looks to be almost fully healed, and he said that it's feeling great. The bruising, the swelling seems to have gone down, and seems he seems to be moving better in his matches, too. It's easier It's easy for it to be healed if it was healed all the time. Yeah, if, if, it, was never, <laughs> yeah, if it was never actually bruised. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen a picture of... His foot and his actual face and body connected. All I saw was a foot. I, that could be anybody's in, foot. In the words of Ricky, it's a work. <laughs> um, so this past week, Fighting Spirit Unleashed tickets went on sale. And the tickets for the New York show and the Philly show at the Hammerstein Ballroom and the 2300 Arena sold out within minutes. Yeah. Super quick sellout. Uh, the tickets for the Lowell show in Boston, surprisingly, there are still... Tickets available. I think that they sold quite a few of them. I tried to go on the website to see um, how many were still available. It's actually hard to tell, to be honest with you, because they don't have it like itemized the way mm-hmm. some sites do. Seems like there are quite a few available, but I also read that they said that they sold a lot of them and that it's very limited availability, so I don't know. Yeah. And I know a lot of listeners have reached out um, asking if we're going to be at any of those Fighting Spirit Unleashed shows uh, as of right now, we both don't have tickets to any of those shows, and I don't think we're planning on going. But you know how we do. We go to shows without tickets, and we get in. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, so who knows? We, we might end up... If Keeping a Strong Style wants to get in, we will get in. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I don't know if we're on. Yeah, so as of right now, we're not. If something changes, we'll let you know. There is a good possibility that things could change. We might be at those shows. Yeah, so we'll keep you guys we'll posted. We'll keep you guys posted. We'll let you know. <laughs> uh, the free match of the week is Sonata versus Naito from last year's G1 Climax, which uh, I actually don't remember that match. I don't, I don't remember it either. I kind of remember it, and I don't remember it being that good. 
Um, they were both in the B block, but I don't remember it being very memorable. But I think that the reason that it's posted, obviously, is because this week Naito will be facing Shingo, and last year he faced stablemate Sonata, and so that's kind of a big deal. So that I think that's why it's the free match of the week. Yeah. Um, also, last the, the, uh, one week ago today, the news broke out that uh, GCW will be holding their third ever Bloodsport, the second under the Josh Barnett banner, um, in what, September? Yeah. September in Jersey City at Boardwalk Hall. The main event is going to be Josh Barnett taking on John Death Rider Moxley. Uh, what the crap? <laughs> Dude, uh, yeah, this is out of this is crazy. This man Mox, he was you were there at Bloodsport this year in New York. You saw Mox. Bro, I was standing with him. Yeah, I was standing with him and, and William Regal and someone else from WWE. I don't know who the other guy was. We were up in the uh, second story and I was just chilling right by them. I didn't talk to them, but yeah, they were there and I was like, this man was getting tampered with, bro. This man was <laughs> this man was still under contract during WrestleMania. No wonder, no wonder, bro. We were at Bloodsport. This man was this man was making moves, making deals. Yes. Uh, Saturday, September fourteenth, eight p.m. Eastern. It'll be uh, streaming on Fight TV. Uh, I'm gonna watch that, bro. I'm gonna watch it because the Bloodsport shows. I've I've been to the last two. They were both fantastic. I really don't know what to expect. Hey, this whole criticism I have about John Moxley not working. Uh, I guess we're probably gonna have to see if that holds true or not because there's he can't pull a table out in Bloodsport. Well, you're not supposed to, but you never know. I mean, uh, Suzuki still used a chair at the last. Oh, he did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people were kind of pissed about it because like that's not what it's about. And yeah, he still did, and people were like, Suzuki can't have a match without using a chair. And I'm like, yeah, pretty much, <laughs> pretty much at this point. But um, and the promo video for this match is incredible. The promo video is fire. The name value is fire. The novelty is fire. It's almost like a freak show fight, but. I'm like, what the heck? Like, there, there's this really weird part of me that's like, Moxley should get squashed by Josh Barnett. In like a, okay, in a pro wrestling setting, all day Moxley beats Josh Barnett. But in a quote-unquote shoot-style promotion, uh, one of, and this is not just in pro wrestling, we're talking about in real life, one of maybe the five greatest, like, North American shoot grapplers of all time like the youngest ufc champion ever the last open weight king of pancrase like he is currently the metamorous grappling champion like he's a hall of famer when it comes to shoot fighting um and then you got john moxley who's like a great entertainer but like super uncoordinated like i think he's doing some jujitsu but like that's not the same thing at all that's like when uh you know brock lesnar fought cm punk you know what i'm saying like it's I don't know. This Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. You're going to have to really suspend your disbelief to like believe in this. Or Mox is going to have to put in either Mox is going to have to put in a fantastic performance or Barnett's going to have to I don't think Barnett can guide him to a great match because Barnett's not a great quote-unquote pro wrestler. He's a good shoot wrestler, but he needs another guy. He needs a dance partner. He always has needed a good dance partner. Like he's not someone who can guide someone who's not familiar with that style to something. Yeah. But maybe Mox just brawls with him and it's just it's just going to be them like throwing strikes. strikes. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. But I will You know what though? Even if that match doesn't turn out to be great. And here's the thing. Blood sport matches can end in some of those matches end like that. Like you'd be surprised. Like they 
emulate real shoot wrestling. So like, who knows? Maybe he hits Barnett with a freaking regal knee and it's over. Like yeah. that could happen. Yeah. But um, that would probably be a fantastic card. Um, in other news, so I want to uh wrap up real quick, but uh, I want to throw some love to some contributors to the community. If you guys haven't seen Kim Justice on YouTube, his name is Kim Justice. He's a, a guy from over in the UK. He's making incredible videos um, around pro wrestling in general, but he just came out with this uh, about one hour long video examining Inokiism, the dark ages of New Japan pro wrestling and the Brock Lesnar title reign and, and controversy and era. If you're not familiar with that era of New Japan or you've never you've never educated yourself on this, or even if you are and you're a fan of it, check out his video. It's about 52 minutes long. This We already know what happened with Showbuckle. I'm telling you, Kim Justice's videos are going to get pulled <laughs> real quick. Watch them while you can. Watch them while you can because like, I kind of feel bad about putting Spotlight on it, but he's got a lot of views already, so it's like they're going to get pulled. So go watch them while you can. Um, also, shout out to Brain, Brain Busta Open Press. Um, Conrad from that group, he uh, did a piece on Kenta about how Kenta will never be accepted by the New Japan audience. Uh, I thought it was an interesting uh, you know, read, so you can catch that on brainbuster.com. Conrad, he did a really good write-up. Also, um, local podcast shout-out. So um, local friends, um, you know Mike Grimes? Yeah. Yeah. So a friend of ours, Mike Grimes, he's got a, a podcast that you can catch on. Uh, I told him I'd give him a shout-out. You can catch his uh, podcast on iTunes as well as Spotify. It's called the Brink of Sanity Pro Wrestling Podcast. And they had TJP on this past week, which normally I wouldn't have given a shout-out for that. But given the fact that TJP is now with New Japan, I thought it was interesting. It's about a one-hour podcast. Give the, those, those guys are five episodes in. We were a young podcast at one time. And, uh, you know, I listened to it. I thought it was actually pretty good. So give it a, you know, give it a check-out for sure. Um, in other news... Wrapping up the show, um, they announced this week that MLW and Noah are entering into a working uh, agreement, trade deal, you know, so um, that's going to be pretty interesting. Two of the, like, smaller guys in both, you know, both sides of the pond kind of joining forces. Um, I wonder what, you know, what kind of impact that's going to have on the rest of the wrestling industry right now, you know. Yeah, especially in the Japan market, too, if that's going to help kind of bring interest back to Noah. Well, I know Noah had a deal with impact, but it seems like that's been long done so yeah um speaking of impact so we reported a few weeks ago that there was um rumors that they would be on uh access television shortly and that that a deal was eminent and expected to be um signed and that fell through and then there was rumors that there was ongoing talks about a secondary deal that was even bigger and now the reports have come out that what that deal was was that Anthem was trying to buy Access Television, yeah, so that they could put Impact on Access. Um, that didn't end up happening, and then Impact ended up having to say that they've expanded their partnership with Twitch and that they're still on the Pursuit Channel. Um, they were so confident about the Access Television deal that they they hadn't even um, done television. Right, they, they didn't. They had to do emergency. TV tapings. They had to do emergency after TV Slammiversary. Tapings. Yeah, and I've seen some people wondering too if like of New Japan had anything to do with Impact not getting on Access. We can't speak out and say for sure that we know that, but it wouldn't really surprise me at all if that was the case. Yeah, we know that there's still a very bitter taste in the mouth of the New Japan office based off of the the previous Impact New Japan relationship and how they handled um, Gazuko Okada 
in the past, and you know they still think Jeff Jarrett's running <laughs> TNA yeah. uh, or Impact. So yeah, yeah, this is not good news for Impact. So the only reason I really bring it up is because the Access Television deal. So it looks like uh, Impact will not be coming to Access. Anthem will not be buying Access Television, and uh, the future of Impact is very, very precarious at this point. Uh, they might. This could be it for them. Yeah. Like, which is sad to say. Um, a report came out this past week on um, the Wrestling Observer newsletter that there's interest from WWE in uh, two signed, well, two talents who are associated with New Japan Pro Wrestling, but two both Bullet Club members. Two Bullet Club. Oh my God. Two <laughs> Bullet Club members, Robbie Eagles and Juicy Gino Gambino. Which Eagles I could understand, but Gambino I kind of can't until I start to think to myself, is this WWE trying to get into the Australia market? Yeah. Because they're vulnerable. Dude, they're making moves all over the place. Bro, they're making moves, dog. They're making moves in Japan right now. They've got this stuff going off in Australia. It's the... What were they doing? Yeah, what were they doing in Japan? They were meeting with, like, Stardom. Stardom and Dragon Gate. Jeez. Yeah, so uh, be on the lookout for that. Um, this past week, uh, Rep Pro uh, announced their seventh year anniversary show, which will be taking place August 18th. My and- birthday. Oh, Nice. And uh, happy birthday to you, because Liger will be on that card. Nice. Yep, making his rounds. Um, also, the Summer Super Card uh, that, uh, show that we've talked about that Ring of Honor will be hosting, G.O.D. versus Briscoes will be having a rematch in a ladder war at Summer Super Card in the main event. You know, that should be pretty good. Their match at, what was that, Manhattan Mayhem was a pretty, pretty good. good brawl. And, you know, ladder wars are typically great. The Briscoes, they're like the master of the ladder wars. They have tons of great ladder wars and ring of honor history so i guess what i like about it is seeing god in these scenarios that we would never see them in in new japan right you know it's kind of cool to see them get to kind of spread their wings a little bit have street fights have ladder matches that's kind of cool um the interesting thing about this though is that this week it was announced that the national wrestling alliance and ring of honor are no longer in a working agreement they're splitting up they're breaking up it's over the party's over it's final they're done they're seeing other people. And <laughs> Which it's, it's really kind of weird, too, because they were announced to be a part of this whole summer supercar. It was supposed to be Ring of Honor, NWA, CMLL, Nick New Aldis Japan. was supposed to be on it. Yeah, supposed to be defending the world title. I think they were trying to set up Aldis Girl 2, if I'm not mistaken. Seemed like it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, real interesting. I hear the word is that um, after um, Billy Corgan's done with his, this Smashing Pumpkins tour, he's going to focus on... Doing weekly TV for NWA. Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Good luck with that. But, uh, you know, it's real interesting. Um, the funny thing is that the story here, it's not Ring of Honor broke up with NWA. It's NWA has broken up with Ring of Honor, basically. Yeah. And that's the story that everyone's telling. And it's like, dang, even the NWA doesn't want to be associated with Ring of Honor. Which is funny because NWA was the one getting all the benefit yeah, out of that relationship. Yeah, they were... Getting NWA guys on Ring of Honor TV, getting their guys, you know, using their YouTube platform, you know, pretty, you know, getting their guys booked on their shows without having to book their own shows. Like NWA is pretty much, pretty much leeching off of Ring of Honor. In addition to that, Dave Lagana was also working for Ring of Honor. He's yeah, done, he's done independently. Yeah, he was as well. doing a lot of their uh, pre tapes and uh, promo stuff. So yeah, so NWA will not be on Summer Supercard. They are no longer with Ring of Honor. Completely separate entities. Uh, and that's going to do it for the news. Uh, and then we're going to wrap up this week's show with the recommended match of the week. And I know um, last week uh, Kevin did watch 
the uh, the Yoshihashi match. Oh yeah, what do you say about that? Uh, hold on, let me see if I can find. He said, upon uh, watching last week's recommended match, I have one question: What was up with Yoshihashi's hair? Bootleg Ace. Pretty, <laughs> pretty solid performance. Otherwise, I popped when he hit a swanton. Not gonna lie. Yeah, yeah, he used to do swanton bombs. I kind of forgot that he used to do that. Yeah. Yeah, he kind of stopped, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Probably that Jeff Hardy thing where it's like, oh, my lower back. <laughs> but anyways. So uh, for this week, the recommended match of the week is going to be the G1 Climax, the Grade 1 Climax Finals from 1998 as Shinya Hashimoto takes on Kazu Yamazaki. This match, I love this match. I really, 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 really love this match. The story going into this match and why I recommend it is because Shinya Hashimoto had been the ace for many years in New Japan up to this point. Uh recognized as the most successful IWGP champion up to that point, but he was the only the only one out of the three Musketeers who had never won a G1 Climax, and this was his big chance to do that. Uh, on the opposite side of the ring, you had Kazu Yamazaki, who was a guy that uh, was a, a couple generations younger than him or older than him. He came up in the dojo system, but he was a shoot-style wrestler, and every time the UWF, which was a shoot-style group, collective that was based out of new japan they split off on three separate occasions um and every time they split off yamazaki would go with them and he had a good career with them but every time he would end up they would fold he would end up coming back and kind of have to rebuild himself and start over um after he left uh the uwfi he returned and so he kind of represented that true authentic new japan shoot style you know uh of wrestling on the flip side you have Hashimoto who was Inoki's chosen quote-unquote different style champion and he was also shoot style so this is basically what a lot of like early New Japan fans see as being like a true representation of what shoot style or like what strong style wrestling in New Japan uh, was at the time and this was a uh, single elimination tournament those of you that don't know they used to do single elimination G1s this was happened over three nights and um, going into the finals, Hashimoto had, I believe, wrestled Tenryu and injured his knee. So he, even though he was the dominant champion, the heavy favorite, he was coming in with a big, like, uh, you know, target on his back. On the flip side, Yamazaki, who was the big underdog, they booked him so strong in this tournament because on three consecutive matches, he beat Chono, he beat uh, Ten or uh, Choshu. And he beat Sasaki, who were arguably the three other biggest stars in the company at the time. And he tapped each and every one of them out with a different submission. So this match was really interesting as these guys just struck the hell out of each other. It's literally kicks, chops, overhand chops, elbows, knee strikes. And the funny thing is Yamazaki is not the one throwing all those strikes. That's all Hashimoto. All Yamazaki's doing is kicking Hashimoto in the knee. Oh, you, your knees hurt? I'm going to kick you in the <laughs> knee. And that's all he does the whole entire match. And it, this, this match is so awesome. It goes 15 minutes. It's not long. It's very simple. At one point, Yamazaki hurts Hashimoto so bad that Hashimoto rolls outside. Yamazaki does the craziest, ugliest freaking tope. Almost like a... Um... Like a uh, like a uh, Nakanishi. Yeah, Nakanishi. Plot. It was better than Nakanishi. It, it, it was, but kind of that similar plane, you know. Yeah, he does a plancha on Hashimoto. Um, ultimately, Hashimoto is able to weather. Oh, and then he ends up putting each one of the different submissions that he had won his previous tournament matches with 
on Hashimoto, and the fans are at this point just believing that Yamazaki is going to pull the upset. And each time Hashimoto fights, uses his fighting spirit, gets to the ropes. He finally puts Hashimoto in an ankle lock, which was his dark secret weapon that he devised for this one match. He had he hadn't pulled it out the rest of the tournament. You think Hashimoto is going to tap out? Like that's how serious it gets. Hashimoto gets to the freaking ropes. Eventually, Hashimoto ends up overcoming him with strikes. Hits him with one of the most incredible elbow drops from like a... How big is Hashimoto? Like 300 pounds almost? Probably around that, yeah. He just kills him with a freaking elbow drop. Bro, from the that top elbow rope. drop was awesome. And then literally hits what, in my opinion, is the prettiest, most ugly, yes. most violent... If y'all want to see the best freaking brain buster out there, you need to watch this match. Yeah, this match is awesome. Hashimoto puts Yamazaki away at 15 minutes with the brain buster. Uh, they present him with the big check. Here's the thing. It's about a four-star affair, maybe a little bit higher than that. I'm not going to oversell it to you, but the thing is, if you want to see an unexpected, unexpected challenger fight what is basically the ace of the company in the G1 finals, this is the match for you. I picked it because that's the exact scenario that we might see playing out here in the next few weeks. And on top of that, for historical purposes, if you've never seen this match and you call yourself a New Japan fan, you got to see this match because it's required viewing. And that's going to do it. Nice. So that's going to wrap things up. Next week, we'll be back to review nights 11 through 14 of the G1 Climax. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KISTrongStyle. You can also follow us at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. On Facebook, we're Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. You can also find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group, Facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle. On Reddit, I am the pro black guy. Josh is keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy, at SocialSuplex.com. If you check out all the other shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network, on Sundays we have One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Floyd. On Wednesdays we have the Rookie and Clive Wrestling Podcast from Scotland. On every other Wednesday we have our podcast dedicated to independent wrestling. Grown men watch this shit, hosted by Jeremy Tate and Chris Bryan. On Thursdays we have NXT, then now and forever, or maybe. On Fridays, we have Get In The Ring with Danny and Beast Mike. And on Saturday, we have All Things Elite with newlywed Floyd Johnson Jr. Congrats, Floyd. Thank you. Yeah, congrats. I know you're listening. <laughs> and, of course, his uh, awesome co-host, Amy Euler. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating, and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.